Now the third one. The third one is one I've really, especially over the past three months or so, been looking at extremely closely, and it's it's a wide open one. Are you familiar with Ross Ulbrich and the Silk Road? Oh, very familiar. <laughs> the life sentence, man. He got okay. a life sentence. Can you take people through what that whole situation was? What's cooking, everybody? I am joined in the bunker today by my very good friend, Kevin Gallagher. Gallagher is a maritime attorney down in the beautiful, beautiful city of Miami, Florida. And I might say, the burgeoning potential Silicon Valley 2.0. If you haven't seen what Mayor Francis Suarez, a.k.a. the Twitter king, is doing down in Miami right now to attract Technorati from Silicon Valley along with their venture capital friends... Go take a look. It is insane. And we do talk about that today. Besides that topic, though, which, as I said, is discussed, there is one thing I do want to make a note of ahead of time, and that is about a 50-minute segment, something like that, where we discuss potential pardons and commutations at the end of the Trump presidency. Now, why is this important for me to give a note on? It's important for me to give a note on it because we are releasing this episode on January 20th. So within hours of Trump leaving office at 12 p.m. on that day. And so when we recorded this podcast, we didn't know whether or not he was going to commute or pardon the three individuals we discussed, which were Snowden, Julian Assange, and Ross Ulbrich. Chances are, if you're listening to this episode, we do know how that went, whether or not you know he actually did it or, or didn't. That said, the conversations are not irrelevant at all. Because really what we did was dig into the full details of those cases. Not not really with Assange, but we did with Snowden and we really did with Ross Ulbrich. We talked about him for about 35 minutes. So I think that there are things that th- – these are not simple answers. There's a lot of nuance. There are pros and cons to going either way. M- my personal opinion is that I would – strongly want to pardon Snowden and Assange and then also commute Ross Ulbrich. But look, there there are upsides and downsides to everything. So I appreciate that part of the conversation. I don't think it's irrelevant at all, given the fact that you're probably listening after Trump already left office and it's all over, but just wanted to make a note of it ahead of time. Anyway, if you're not subscribed, please subscribe. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button the like button for this video, and the bell so you can get some notifications when I post a video every day. Also, to all the people who have left five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts with a comment, thank you very much. They're amazing. And if you haven't done that already and can take a minute to do that, I would really, really appreciate it. That said, you know what it is. I'm Julian Dory, and this is Trendfire. This is one of the great questions in our culture. Where is the news? You're giving opinions and calling them facts. Everyone understands this, but few seem to do it. If you don't like the status quo, start asking questions. The COVID kid, what's going on? What up? How recovered are you? I'm recovered, man. I got COVID. Beat it like a bad child, and uh, I'm here, man. I'm here. And what? It was like four weeks ago, something like that. Um, yeah. So 
I live in Florida. In uh, in Florida, it's you know it's wide open. <laughs> people are catching COVID left and right. Um, people don't believe in COVID in Florida, which is kind of weird to me. A lot of people. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I got it. Um. Definitely was sick. I had like a fever. I didn't have a cough. Definitely some aches. Um. You know, I did the whole two week quarantine. Yeah. Um. But then I was fine. I lost my sense of taste and smell, which was pretty trippy. That yeah. Was, how weird is that? Um. It was definitely weird. Um. It's just like. What's weird about it is, like, if you're eating something, you can taste, like, if you're eating a food that's, like, fatty or, like, buttery or, like, sugary, you can, like, you can, your body knows that, like, all right, this is sugar and this is oh, good. Oh, shit. Or, like, this is, like, you know, like, a ju- if you ate, like, a juicy steak, you'd be like, all right, this is kind of, like, melting in my mouth. This is good. But it, it has no flavor. Like, you can't taste it. Oh, it's so weird. It's super weird. It's super weird. Um, and did it go with this? Did your taste go at the same time that your smell did? Or yeah, was it different? It, it, it went at the same time, and I knew it was happening. Like, I knew it was going to come because I was like reading like what the symptoms are. Yeah. And um, so I was like, every morning I'd wake up and I'd like, you know, like smell like my spice cabinet and be like, I can still smell it. And then like one morning I couldn't smell anything. And I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah. So, but yeah, I came back. I'm good. Um, yeah. And my experience with COVID is it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it, it feels like a lot of people are either literally asymptomatic or they get some of the weird ones like that, or they're really sick. Like, those are yeah. those are the three most common buckets, it, it feels like. But did you, do you know where you got it from, or? So, I'll be honest, um, I just moved to Florida, like, a few months ago. Mm. I've been, you know, I've moved a new city. I'm trying to, like, meet people, make friends, go yeah. out. So I've just, I've been going out. Yeah. So I'm and it's sh- open down there. It's wide open. So yeah. I'm sure I got it at, like, a, a bar or a club or something like that. Um, but my whole thing is, is, like, I'm young. I live by myself. Mm-hmm. I got COVID. I knew I had COVID early on. So the one day I went into the office, it was on a Monday. Mm. Um, and my throat was, like, kind of scratchy. And I was like, oh, shit, like. This is kind of not normal. Um, I don't know. Maybe I might have something. So I left the office at 11 o'clock that day. I texted or I emailed my HR lady and was like, yo, I'm getting tested. Something, something's not right. Came back positive. Didn't get anyone infected in the office. I stayed home for two weeks, tested negative, and it was good. Did you do the PCR test thing? Yeah, I did the rapid because you get the results like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I mean, COVID's... It's obviously very serious for um, a select uh, p- portion of the population. Yep, yep. Um, but I don't know. A lot of these measures, like being back here and seeing that you can't go to indoor dining in Philadelphia and, and stuff like that, it's it's kind of crazy to me. And it's um, it's just like it's it's a shock being in Florida where it's like it's literally wide open. You go to clubs, you can go to bars, you can go to gym and then come here and it's like, you have to eat outside on the sidewalk in like 30 degree weather. It's just Are people masked up down there? So, yes and no. So, if we're talking Florida as a whole, I mean, it's Florida's a very red state and yep. you know like central Florida and stuff like that. Um my cousin lives in like central Florida. They're not they're not masked people up there, yeah. but yep. uh, I live in Miami and Miami is a very it's um it's a major city. It's liberal. So like for the most part, almost everyone you see like on the sidewalk is masked up. Yeah. And at least my opinion is, um, I don't agree with these anti-maskers, mm-hmm. the anti-vaxxers. Um, I think it's such a slight burden 
and it's such like a very minor infringement on your freedom, whatever you, whatever, however you want to call it, to wear a mask over your face, right? Mm. You know, it's one of those things where it's like we can agree that it's a very contagious disease. We can mm-hmm. agree that in certain instances it's deadly, mm-hmm. and we can agree that you know it's mainly spread through your nose and mouth. Yep. So what's the fucking big deal with wearing a mask? I think that people look at it as an amalgamation of a bunch of them. I don't know if I used that properly there, but a combination. Let's use a better word. Where when they're told to wear a mask, it's not just that. That's a part of a culture where they're told, oh, you can't have indoor seating at a restaurant. Oh, you have to close down your business because we decided it's not essential. Oh, you need to stay inside and quarantine and not go visit your family on the holidays because COVID's out there. And the problem with it is, if this were something that we're eliminating 10% of the population, hey, I, I don't really know what to tell you in that scenario. I'm not the guy to, to talk to, and that's not the scenario, is the point. And you have people now who are who have long been sick of this, who feel like the government is overstepping. And frankly, the visual of the mask itself is just, from an imagery standpoint, the ultimate symbol of it. So it creates this hysteria around it. And yeah, I mean, you get swept up in it because you're like, okay, we agree it's contagious, like you said. We, we don't want to see it spreading if we can stop it. It appears that the data supports that not like the bandana mask, but like actual masks sure. do a pretty yeah, good job. Sure. Um, so if we had to do that for a while, let's. But when people are thinking about all the other side and how much it's dragging out and how every time they're told, oh, if we do this, then this, and it changes and the goalposts move, you get to a point where people are like, no, because that's that's their, that's their the hill they're going to die on and say, I don't want to do it. And I understand where those people are coming from at this point. I, I wouldn't have in April or May. At this point, I get it. It's It doesn't make it right. It's just I, I get it. I understand where they're coming from, you know, in the way that you just kind of explained it. I still don't really agree with it at all. I think, yeah. I think you just put a, a mask. It's a piece of cloth over your face. It's spread through your nose, nose and mouth. Just wear it. It's yeah. such a slight, like, such a slight burden. Yep. What I don't get on board with is this whole shutdown. In yeah. my opinion, um, you have to you have to allow businesses to operate, especially this whole second round of shutdowns. Because you had the first round, fine. It's a, it's a foreign disease. It's a pandemic. It's deadly. We're worried about hospitals being overrun. A lot of governments, they reacted in a certain way. Um, to protect lives, they, they looked, they said, okay, um, what can we do to protect lives? Let's shut it down. This is how it's spreading. If we don't mm-hmm. have people going to these businesses, whatever. I just think, and now after after you kind of had the uh, shutdowns like roll back into like, you know, opening up and then indoor dining's come back and then to have a second round of shutdowns. Yeah. And it's, it's also become so hypocritical and so just like arbitrary as like to what you can and can't do. It's like, all right, you can go grocery shopping, but you can't, you can't um, go to dinner with, you know, your family. Like, I, I just don't get that. And it's, you know, and it's killing businesses. Businesses that are, would otherwise be successful, profitable businesses are dying because of the government. Because, yeah. And frankly, I just disagree with that. Um, again, I, I can get on board with the social distancing. I can get on board with the reduced capacity. I can get on board with, 
you know, a lot of met taking your temperature when you go in there, all this stuff, but let a business operate. That's Especially when they invested in all that stuff too. Yes. Ex yeah. You're changing the goalposts. Exactly. You're saying, okay, get plexiglass, do this, like make sure your employees are safe, do this. And, and here's the whole, my, my whole thing is if I'm going out. So again, I'm, I live in Miami, Florida. I'm young. If I go out to a bar or club, I'm, I'm consenting. I'm going out yep. there and I'm consenting yep. like, all right. I understand there's a risk that I'm going to get COVID and I'm going to get sick, right? And if you are going out and you want to go to a restaurant, you're consenting to to Agreed. getting COVID. And if you protect the employees, like the plexiglass, the face shield, stuff like that, um, and I think it is important you protect the employees and have measures in place and things like that. But at the end of the day, if you want, if someone wants to go out and eat in a restaurant with other people who are don't have masks who are eating. They're consenting to that, and they know what they're. They know the decision they're making at this point in the whole pandemic. Yeah, I I heard an argument too about the whole point you're making about if you do it one place, why don't you do it another, and then how does it make sense? Somebody said just look at restaurants alone for a second and think about the mask policies there. They they were explaining to me if you have to wear a mask into the restaurant, cool, but then. When you sit down at the table and you take the mask off for the meal, it defeats the whole purpose. You are It's arbitrary. It, it's it's, it's arbitrary. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like we're doing a lot of things for symbolism and not for the quote unquote science. And it doesn't change the fact that the science appears to say that it's highly contagious and airborne. So I mean, that would mean that you wear a mask everywhere all the time. But then how do you even have a restaurant in that case open? Because you got to be able to open your mouth to eat. Exactly. So it's – the other problem is if you looked at the data out of New York, and I don't – I think this was just out of New York. But either way, New York City, burgeoning place. Sure. The contact tracing ahead of these second round of shutdowns to restaurants was 1.4%. And I've had that in previous shows. What, what does that mean? It means that the cases that they've been registering, 1.4% of them were traced to bars and restaurants in New York City. Whereas, hmm. I forget what the exact number was, but it was in like the 60s or 70s, were traced to in-home. In-home gatherings. That makes sense. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. If, if a member of your household gets COVID, you're probably going to get you're it. You're going to get it. Yeah. So it's like they're shutting these people down and telling them what they can – what they can do after they spent all this money to make all these adjustments just to make less money and they don't have the data behind it to shut them down again. And so it's just very sad to me because you're seeing so many people who did absolutely nothing wrong. In fact, people who are still managing businesses, obviously, but people who are still okay, like still hanging on right now because they were set up so well for a rainy day scenario. Yeah. But when you turn a rainy day scenario into nine months, it's just that 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 ain't it. It's, yeah. it's not going to work. Yeah, you're just killing businesses. And going back to the whole like consenting to to getting COVID type situation. I like how you said that, by the yeah. way. I mean, everyone would agree that sure, fine. You go to you know me going to a club. Like no one's worried about. I'm not worried about getting COVID. Whatever. That the problem is if I go into my office building and there's older people and I give it to them. So that yeah. that's kind of the rub. So it's like sure, fine. I don't care about getting COVID. I can go around and get COVID, whatever. I'm not in a, I'm not elderly. I'm not in a, at risk. You know, I don't have pre-existing conditions, but it's when I'm around other people. So in that regard, I just think it's the onus is on people like me to, to be very, you know, 
the second I felt a tickle in my throat, I was like, there's a pregnant girl in, in my office building. And I was mm -hmm. like, I literally thought about it. I was like, do I want to be that guy that like, God forbid something happens and like a bunch of people get COVID. Like I just yeah. started working here. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to be that guy that infects the whole office, whatever. And I said, nope. I'm dipping, whatever. I'll be that wuss that, like, you know, got a COVID test over, a, you know, a tickle in my throat. It ended up being COVID, and I'm so thankful that I did that. No one else got infected. It was all good, you know. And I just, you know, obviously that's very hard to, you know, to do on a massive scale because, you, you know, everyone develops symptoms differently. And it's – but but I just think um, – I don't know. I think there's a middle ground between shutting everything down and – um keeping every you know well i don't i don't think things should be wide open again yeah i th i think florida's doing it pretty good honestly yeah and that's interesting though because you did say and can you just turn the mic a little bit down like that so yeah yeah cool um it's interesting how you put it at the very beginning of when we were talking about this where you're you're saying that there are people in florida who think like covid doesn't exist and that's the problem very true you have extremes and yeah. the more you drive a wedge between them the more extreme they get i can tell who's like a COVID psycho online by looking at yeah. their profile picture because they got the wear your mask and the mask on and everything. And then I can tell who is a COVID denier often by their profile picture as well with, with what they're doing right now because they're out partying or something like that. And that's kind of crazy. And you even said you made a distinction, I don't know, 10 minutes ago or something like that, where you were saying Miami is more of a liberal city, so they're wearing the mask, whereas Central yeah. Florida, red, they're not. It is crazy to me that we've drawn that line where people who lean hard one way or lean hard the other way are literally representative of what precautions you're taking or not taking. That's that's nuts. Is it that crazy, though, if you really think about it? Because, no. Because we just talked about it. The mask is a symbol for the anti-maskers, a symbol of oppression, a symbol mm -hmm. of the government trying to tell you what you can and can't do. Um, and you know, that f happens to fall along on red lines. And then, you know, I guess the, the liberal, you know, point of view is, you know, safety and well-being of the whole versus the freedoms of, of the individual. So I, I mean, I totally get why it's fallen along the lines that it's fallen upon, but it's just one of those things where it's like, it's disappointing where it's like, we, we can't even agree on like, you know, like health, like yep. things and like stuff like this where it shouldn't you know you feel if you look at it you're like wow this is like this is one of those things that probably shouldn't be political but it's become political you know yeah, yeah and down in miami right now in the midst of this whole thing there is a mass movement going on and you've been there for the dawn of this which is really yeah. over the past three months what is happening everyone's moving there so as I understand it, yeah, a lot of a lot of tech companies are moving to Miami. Um, they're getting fed up with the you know skyrocketing real estate prices in Silicon Valley. So a lot of tech companies are moving down there. I'm just adjusting you right here. You All right, yeah. <laughs> this, this is I can definitely do. there you go. So we'll we'll take that from the. No, you're good. We'll we'll keep that going. That's All right. Cool. Um, a lot of you were saying a lot of tech companies are coming yeah, down there. Yeah, a lot of tech companies are coming to Miami again. They're fed up with the the real estate prices in Silicon Valley. It's it's you know it's become, I guess at the dawn of you know the whole like digital revolution, it was very necessary to be there and uh, you know you wanted you wanted to be in Silicon Valley. You wanted to make your presence known. That's becoming less and less important. If the real estate's out of control, they're moving to, to other places like uh, Florida with uh, more favorable tax rates. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things like that. A lot of um, like in, investment firms and 
and you know like capital firms again i'm not that's not really my area of expertise but um yeah from what i've i read and i see stuff in the news every day that's you know more, more and more more and more companies and things are moving to miami yeah it's more than just real estate prices though a lot of it has to do with where people are fleeing with what's going on right now too because they're coming from California. They're coming from New York City. So, like, the the people who are coming down who are in the Wall Street space, which is now starting to happen as well on top of the tech, they're, they're, a lot of them are coming from New York City. The people who are coming down from tech are coming from San Francisco and, and the West Coast. And they're basically fed up with being completely locked down because those places have definitely gone the most overboard with it this whole time. And they're also working remote. And a lot of jobs are staying remote forever. So, they're... The yeah, CEOs of these crazy. companies are like, fuck it, you know, like, let's just do it. That's wild to me. Like, that's kind of what scares me is, at least for me, I I hate the remote work. Like, I need to yeah. be in an office. Yeah. I need to, like, there, there needs to be, like, a break room. I need to get, like, coffee. I need to be able to, like, walk and say what's up to the, you know, secretary or yep. whoever. Like, I, I just can't do the work from home. But it's one of those things where it, my law firm that I currently work for, um, we have way more uh, lawyers than we do, like, actual desks and, like, spots for them. We got rid of an entire, uh, like, we had, I think, I'm not sure the details on this, but, like, I believe we had an office in Fort Lauderdale. I work in the, Miami's, like, the headquarters of mine. We had, like, a Fort Lauderdale office. Fort Lickerdale. Fort, yeah, Fort Lauderdale's a fun city. That's three <laughs> podcasts in a row. I've had to correct someone from Florida on the Fort yeah. Lickerdale thing. Dude, it's... I'm disappointed. It's, it's fun. Uh, it's fun there. Um, <laughs> but... What, what was I going to say? Yeah, we had, like, an office down there, and we got rid of it during COVID, and, like, we're probably not going to get it back. And it just makes, like, it's lower overhead for my firm. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, damn, like, you know, I, I went to law school. I'm a lawyer. Like, like you're going to tell me I can't have an office? Like, I'll fight that. Like, <laughs> like I want the corner office I, overlooking the city. I, w- I need an office. Like, so, yeah. like, knock on wood, I have an office now, but like, they could just be like, nah, you're, you, you don't get it. You know, mm-hmm. like, a more senior attorney gets it, work from home, which I hope never happens. But, you know, it's, it's one yeah. of those things. It's, it's something that people adjusted to right away. And, and now that it's gone on so long, they're thinking about the ramifications of like, well, do I really want this forever? And I've seen a lot of arguments where people are saying, hey, let's have a duel kind of situation where maybe you're in the office two days a week or three days a week and you're home the other two, three days a week. And you may see that. You may see offices in different industries adjust where people share desks because they're on and off at different times or whatever. It's, I don't know how it will completely end up because the other thing is it's not like, I mean, in Florida we have, so you've seen it a little bit, but across the country it's not like we've had any kind of return to normalcy so we don't know what people have decided the normal is yet you know true very true and the and the governor in florida desantis he's getting a lot of shit for what he's doing down there but pretty much i guess him and and texas are are the two that are just kind of like hey anything goes right now and what's the what's the vibe down there especially in miami like what what do people think of him um DeSantis, so, I mean, it's like anything that's political. It's going to fall along the political line. So if, you know, if you're more liberal, you probably um, don't like the guy. If you're more conservative, yeah. you probably do like the guy. Um, Simple. I, yeah. You know, I haven't heard too much discussion about DeSantis specifically, which is kind of surprising, but. There's not riots against him down there or anything. Certainly, people yes. freaking out. Certainly not, the not the people that I'm associating with. Yeah. But, you know, 
you know, again, if you're liberal, you probably don't like the guys. Yeah, I mean, even though he's got it wide open, though, the other thing we can't forget is that there's still a lot of industries that have been completely put at a standstill. So, yes, you may have more small businesses and restaurants and stuff like that open down in Florida than you do here, and they may be doing a lot better. That's great. It's a positive. But you think about Miami. Miami's a port city, for example. It's, a, a, it's the most active cruise port in the country. Yeah. I think, I mean, you could pull up the stats. I'm not totally sure. I believe it's like around 7 million pas- cruise passengers a year when it's at full operation. Wow. I can. I don't think a cruise has sailed from the port of Miami since uh, since March, since mid March. Um, Zero. I, you know, I know there are cruises sailing internationally. I don't think, at least from the major cruise lines like Carnival Royal, Disney, um, Norwegian. I don't know that uh, a cruise has sailed. Well, Disney's, uh, they're um, like Central Florida. But yeah, they do like Port, port Canaveral. Yeah. yeah, Cape Canaveral. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, to my knowledge, there's not been a, a major cruise line that's had a you know that's had a ship sail with like passengers. So yeah, it's been I haven't, totally shut down. I haven't heard anything about that in a while, just because they were talking about cruises and airlines for the first three months of this thing every single day, and and now I feel like they never talk about it because I know planes are still going, but I've heard nothing on Norwegian or Carnival or any of that since probably the beginning of the summer. Yeah, so the CDC actually issued like a no sale order um saying the cruises couldn't sail um and that i believe expired in um mid or late october Mm. um and basically they said cruises can sail as long as they put in um protocols to keep passengers safe so to my knowledge there still has not been a major cruise line that's had a ship sail in out of a u.s port at least i believe there's there's some cruise activity overseas um but it's a it's a good sign, especially now the vaccine is um, is in circulation. I think cruises start sailing, um, you know, within three to six months. I think you'll see cruises start sailing. I think I think you'll see mandatory vaccines for passengers. Maybe maybe that's a longer timeline. But I think the only way you realistically have cruises sail in this climate is you have mandatory vaccines for all passengers. Do you think people are gonna? adopt that quickly though i know people are looking to get out of their houses and go on vacation no doubt about that but that is the ultimate let let me tell you about the average cruise consumer they are loyal cruise consumers are loyal to that form of uh vacationing cruise consumers um and again you'll have to pull the stats on this later Mm -hmm. whatever you Mm -hmm. do your show notes i read something that uh, a lot of these cruise lines were staying afloat because they're selling um, and keeping the cash flow going because they're selling cruises like in in 2021 and 2022 because these cruise consumers are so eager and so loyal that they're they're keeping them afloat. They're buying these cruises years out now and they're d- super discounted rates. Um, so yes, I think people Americans love to cruise. Well, it's a, it's worldwide, but like mm-hmm. the people that lo- like cruising. They're not kind of your casual vacationer. They live and die by that form of vacation, and they love the cruise, and I think they're going to continue to cruise. And, um, I mean, that's basically, I'd say about 90% of what the work I do is uh, is cruise ship work. So um, Yeah, because you're, talk about that. You're, you're in maritime law, so what is that? It consists of working with companies like cruise ships, but are you also working with Maersk and companies like that? Yeah, so we Logistics? do. So my firm does it all. So we do um, we do cruise work. We'll do um, you know 
cargo work. We'll do recreational. Like if you if you have your boat and you're you know you smash into another boat somewhere and you know we'll we'll do stuff like that. We'll do we'll do it all. Um, but what I do in the group the specific that I'm in, um, I do ninety percent cruise work, and then ninety percent of that is actually only with one cruise line. I'm not going to say the name of yeah, it. It's yeah. you know whatever. Um, but yeah, so um, we deal with. You know, we'll deal with anything from like personal injury uh, things on a cruise ship. So, like, if a passenger gets injured, um, if a crew member gets injured, we'll deal with um, sex assaults, which it's kind of surprising that happens a lot more than people realize on cruise ships. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, um, there's there's a lot of uh, there's federal legislation actually. I forget when it, it was enacted. I want to say 2006. The, it's called the Cruise Vessel CVSSA Cruise Vessel Safety and Security mm-hmm. Act. Part of that is these um because there was like a plethora of sexual assaults and there was not kind of this data being tracked on it and it was kind of like whoa this is like you know you have all these people getting turned up on a cruise yeah and like you know that's gonna happen and and it was happening and there was not a lot of data on this um uh congress enacted this the cvssa that mandates reporting and every time there's one of these incidents you have to report it you have to report it to the fbi Mm -hmm. um and you have to have like protocols in place to like preserve the evidence like all this stuff so it it gets very complicated there's a lot of like federal legislation at place when when you have like an alleged sex assault in a cruise Um, what if you're in international waters though so everyone always asks me that like oh what what happens with international waters doesn't anything go um and it's pretty easy to explain basically so once a ship is 15 nautical miles to sea, they're in what's considered international waters. And when you're in international waters, the uh, country that the ship is flagged under, the law of that country applies. So mm. a, a lot of ships are, are flagged in Panama or Bahamas. Um, so that just means if you're 15 miles to sea, uh, the law of, of the Bahamas applies or the law of Panama applies. Does that include U.S. cruise companies, though? So it's it's tricky. So like that's the like substantive law like on the books, like criminal law and like regu- regulatory yep, yep. law, but when you get into like tort law and lawsuits and stuff like that, if it involves a US passenger or a US company, you can still bring suit in the US under mm. um applying US maritime law. So I don't know if that answers your question. I don't want to lose some of the viewers and get too complicated no, in, no, in talking it's... about like jurisdiction. It gets complicated, jurisdictional yeah. stuff, things like that. Um, but it basically just means when you're 15 miles out at sea, you know, then you can gamble, then you can have <laughs> 18 year olds drink, then you can, you know, it it just you know the law that you're applying on that ship at that time. So um, totally changes. Yeah. Wow. So you guys do just like a lot of. On the books work for them, so you're you're basically like in-house counsel for companies, um, cruise companies. No, so in-house counsel would be more. Um, the job of an in-house counsel would be more to make sure that they would manage what litigation they have going on. So we work with in the in-house counsel all the time. Got it. Um, we're we do litigation, so we're so we're, you're taking those individual cases like the assaults yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, and Got we're it. working up Got the it. cases. We're we're you know getting them ready for trial. We're negotiating with the uh, opposing attorneys. We're doing we're managing these cases. Um, but if you want to have a big, this is an important question I got to ask. If you want to have a big maritime practice, do you pretty much have to be in a Florida or a Texas or maybe a California 
possibly New York because there there are a lot of big ports there versus anywhere else just because you're you're close to the biggest ones? I'm glad you asked this question, Julian. Um, yes and no. So Florida is unique for a lot of reasons. Okay. Um, almost all of these cruise lines, which, again, so I'm talking the cruise industry. Florida, as far as just general maritime, Florida is a huge um, – it's, it's very significant because it has a – Huge number of boat ownership. Mm-hmm. I think they have the most boat owners in the country. It's just like a, it's a very boating like state. There's a lot of like, it's a very boating culture that you know. There's, you know, the city of Miami revolves around like boats and you know like Fort Lauderdale and like Tampa and all that. There's just like there's so much opportunity where people are on boats and doing dumb stuff that yes, you're gonna have sure just sure. ample opportunities for work. Gotcha. <laughs> Why the cruise industry specifically is 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 um. Based in, I guess, I don't, yeah, it's based in Florida. Yeah, the big um, ones. Is because a lot of these cruise ships, they have um, what are called form selection clauses in their uh, passenger contracts. So, again, I don't want to get too legal uh, heavy for, for the, the, the millions of viewers out there. But <laughs> um, we'll get there. Basically, yeah, hey, we'll get you'll We're get working there. on it. But basically, what it means is um, if I'm a passenger and I buy a ticket and you're Royal Caribbean, you sell me a ticket, I've agreed that if I want to sue you, I have to sue you within the Southern District of Florida. Got so it. So that's a fe- yep. federal court in Florida. And um, the, the Supreme Court has upheld those those types of clauses and contracts, and it just limits the litigation to the Southern District of Florida. So I could be from Minnesota. I could be from Tennessee. I have to – if I'm injured on a cruise, I got to sue you in Florida. So that's right. why – the cruise industry is specific to, to uh, Florida, specific to Southern Florida, and all the main cruise ships have their headquarters there. Uh, Royal does. Um, I guess like Norwegian's U.S. operations are there. I'm I'm not totally sure on that. I know Carnival. I know mm-hmm. Royal and Carnival are for sure. Um, MSC is another cruise line. Um, again, you can. I guess you could look that up. Yeah, we'll check. Um, but yeah, so I I know for sure like uh, Royal and Carnival do. Um, and yeah, it, it just means you know it's just. Okay, all the maritime lawyers are gonna have to practice if they want to practice sure. maritime law in that in that aspect. They're gonna have to practice in Florida. Now, if you want to do you know recreational or cargo stuff, um, yeah, I mean, I guess you go to the more active ports. I think the port port of Long Beach is the the most active port in the country, um, and then I think its second is Bayonne, New Jersey, which is New yep. York, New yep. York, really. So, um, Norfolk, yeah. Norfolk's a big one too, right? In Virginia, maybe. I know Houston is big. Yep, I, yep, Houston's huge. But, um, yeah. So it it all depends on what aspect of of maritime you're trying to get into, and there are maritime lawyers all over the country. So you know, it just depends. Yeah. Do you look like? Do you personally check out the? international cargo side at all and and deal with any cases around that or are you interested in that i haven't done that yet but our firm absolutely does handle those cases it just hasn't come across what i've worked on yet right right because it's first of all when you look at the full logistics and transportation industry we just take for granted that it is the biggest industry in the world you look at trucks you look at boats you look at planes they're getting shit to you they're traveling all the time. I forget the numbers, but it's in it's like literally in the trillions internationally. Oh yeah. And yet it's also one of the most old school industries by and large, especially on the maritime Anci- it's side. It's ancient. It's ancient. I mean, they they deal they deal with like literal paper handoffs and stuff. Yeah, the, bills of lading, yeah, they're paper, yeah. It it's crazy to me. And the other thing is 
forget the fact that it's so ass backwards and old school. We also don't pay attention to the trends that happen with it because, again, everyone's so focused on the actual end product and what they're buying as the consumer or what this company's doing there or whatever. They're not focusing on the companies that are going between them on the logistics end trying to do this. So, like, right now, you and I were talking last week about this. I, I know you had some thoughts on what, what China's doing. I mean, they're basically trying to rewrite who controls the international waterways by investing in a whole bunch of ports. My question for you is that, you know, if they're putting up billions of dollars into partnering with ports in Greece or partnering with ports in Panama or wherever, how does that give them – the obvious is that it gives them more power, but how specifically does that give them more power on the international stage to then be able to get control of countries versus just doing business investments to make money? Does that make sense? Well, I think it's both. I think – China is absolutely investment-minded, too. I think they'll do something to purely turn a profit. Um, but I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, China is doing this stuff to exert influence and control. So one of the main things that I've read about, and I don't know all the details of it, I know that um, – so everyone knows the Panama Canal. And the significance mm -hmm. of the Panama Canal is if you're making that trip, you don't have to – so say you're making a trip from, you know, you want to ship something from Europe to, let's say, California. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go all the way around South America and do that. You cut through the Panama Canal. Everyone understands that. And didn't we completely build that? We Isn't completely that? built yes. that and we owned it and we gave it back to Panama. Mm. Yeah. When, when did that happen? I don't Roughly. know when that happened, but I know that a lot of people think that, like, that was a mistake strategically strategically it seemed like okay maybe we should have kept that now because china's now i know that there's again i don't know all the details because yeah. it's all it's all murky but i know china's some somehow involved with uh like financing the, the original panama canal and the, it's getting the, yeah. the panamanian government's getting tied up with china and it could be like there's a lot of people saying there could be like a kind of trade war sparked from that yeah. between the u.s and china over over the contr control of the panama canal but that's not even that's just one aspect they're now trying to build a second uh, panama canal yep. in nicaragua they're trying to fund it in nicaragua and it's supposed to be so now there's these um like super tankers that are even that cannot fit through the panama they've they've widened and deepened the panama canal they did that recently now there's these super tankers that cannot even fit through the panama canal that china's now trying to uh build a canal that's big enough and deep enough to do that in nicaragua so what do we do now if the only way to get goods is through a Chinese-owned canal in Nicaragua? That's, you know, that's... And that's the point. Like, yeah. then does their government exert control over that? And it sounds like they can. Because that's where people draw the line. They're thinking to themselves, all right, well, if China's just making investments and getting rich, like, hey, as long as we're doing okay here, who gives a shit? But when you then inject the fact that their government... What's the deal? Their government owns, like, 50% of all so, businesses as I or understand it, as I understand it, in China, you can't really – there's no such thing as like a private business because every business, the Chinese government is a 51% owner. So mm. it, it, there's no there's no such thing as private yeah. business. You know That's pretty much my understanding of it. So then you have to worry about whether or not there's literal governing power that they then have because they have all these countries tied to them via the investments in the ports. I mean I went and looked at some of the Panama stuff because you had sent me – 
This was a while ago. This was a month or two ago, something You're like that. You're reading Julian, and I appreciate but, that. Yeah, I, I like the stuff you send me because I never know about it. You send me something, and it's like I have never heard that story before, and then you look at it, and you're like, wow, yeah. just because the amount of money flowing in. But you sent me one, I think one, it was on Greece, like the one they're investing in there. And then somehow I got into that Panama Canal thing you were talking about, and they were saying that Forget the amount of money that the Chinese companies put up, again, kind of on behalf of the government, but they also just completely took advantage of Panama being in a really bad spot, which is a trend that China's yeah. had for a while take, because – Take advantage of yeah. economically distressed countries yep. and like buy up their ports or buy, or buy up their resources and then you kind of uh, – you have a lot of power over them in those situations and it's just like – it's a scary trend. I don't really – I'm not going to sit here and pretend – like, I know what the implications of this are. Yeah. I don't even know. But it's something that China's basically trying to just control the, I, I, from what I gather, control the shipping industry. And when you control the flow of goods, that's a, a lot of control to have. It seems to me like their main area, very clearly, that they've quadrupled, quintupled, whatever, down on is tech. And then just putting this all together and learning more about this in the context of transportation and their investments there. I mean, the goal they had was, I think, $1 trillion in investment in, I, I forget exactly what it was for Xi, but the number was $1 trillion over a certain number of years, and it wasn't that many years, to go specifically into transportation, which I guess is then literally doing what you're showing me they're doing, which is investing in these ports. And so now I'm thinking to myself, okay, they get tech, which is the ultimate battlefield, and now they're going after to your point, literally how things move to and fro around the world, what more do they need if they have – if the government feels like they have control of those two things and feels like they have all the continents besides ours tied to it? Well, I think China's – kind of their their trend is that they're never satisfied. So, the, no. I mean, one of the articles I sent you, if you – read that article and I sent you a few articles and I I forget what even what I sent you but one of the articles I was saying um, the article itself said China could start using these ports in these foreign countries to say okay we own this port we're going to stash our military ships here yeah strategically like that's a problem too that's so now China has battleships all over Europe and South America that's a problem yeah, and, what, and what's a country yep. to say? What's a so okay? Fine, you can have a ship here. Well, now you have a ship here. Now you have a military presence in this country. You know what's you know what's next? What are the implications of this? I don't know. I don't know. And is this is that actually going to happen? That was theoretical. The article I sent you that was theoretical. Theoretical, yeah. But but it, you yeah. know it's it's something that's you know it's kind of scary, and you're you're you start thinking whoa, whoa. And the other scary part is that our some of our ally relationships aren't the greatest right now just because Trump, having been in office, went after NATO, kind of went after the EU in some ways, wasn't exactly friends with some of the other first world countries that we've been longtime friends with. And then you have to remember, they all respond to the same kind of thing. They need money inflowed to their country. So if they're having tense relationships with the United States on some stuff – 
well, another buyer is going to come into the marketplace and they're going to go to whoever that buyer is and sell the goods. And yeah. you've seen China do that. And I don't know nearly enough about it. I'm, I'm trying to learn more, but... It's complicated. It's actually... Com it's not like you just read an article and you understand it. Oh, it, no. It's, no. It's pretty complicated what they're doing, but it's... And which is probably the reason why it's not so newsworthy because it's not... Because your average... You know, your average person is just like, I don't know what, they're buying some port in Nicaragua? You know? Like, how does that affect me? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it does, and it has the potential to affect our lives significantly. Yeah, and we're also, we're hardened to, not hardened, but we're used to a lack of international struggle. We've had a terrible, never-ending war in Iraq and Afghanistan for years, but what you got to remember is, it's in these two focused places. None of it comes here. It's very clearly a big dog going against a not big dog. And it's limited to that. And then people get upset because of all the economic implications and, you know, how much of it is about oil and shit like that. But when you're talking about our generation and the generation above us and, and the kids in this country understanding something like a World War II or a World War One. That's a foreign idea. Oh, yeah. I also would like to think, and this is my hope hat on, that because we have so much instantaneous international communication now between countries that we didn't have back then, there is, and so many different, quote-unquote, multi-country boards set up, you know, most obvious one being like the UN and stuff like that, and all these international laws. Because of all that, my thought is... Hey, we could avoid things like that just because there are enough cooks in the kitchen who are completely aware of what's going on. It doesn't change the fact, though, that to your point, yes, all this stuff may look complicated, but when you start to add it all together and say like, okay, technology, transportation, buying up other con uh, other continents around us and everything, hmm, that, that doesn't – oh, wow, they got like a billion, two billion people living over there. That's, that's not the greatest, and it's not exactly a free government. You know, It's a no, communist government. Not at all. We take it – we miss it in this country because we're not used to looking for it is my point, and that's a scary that. thought. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, we we kind of live in a bubble in a sense, um, and there's a lot of strings being pulled uh, internationally behind closed doors, sometimes, you know, in in broad daylight. But, yeah. um, you know, these are things that we should be aware of. And, you know, I think they should be discussed. And I think it's I think people should know about this stuff. You know what, though, we don't even educate in whether it be high school or middle school or college, we don't even educate on financial literacy and basic things like that. And then uh, we and I, then we sit here and we want to educate people on international problems i want to talk about i'm glad you brought that up i have thoughts on that everyone go off this kid. might this might be totally uh side sidebar whatever do it do it let's go everyone talks about oh we don't we're not teaching taxes in school do you know how do you know how expansive the tax code is do you know like you have to, to in order to just you can't just teach taxes like taxes change year to year it's so complicated the tax the the tax code is like fucking like three volumes mm -hmm. and it's it's huge you can't teach taxes what you can teach in school is what they are already teaching school is critical thinking and reasoning and basic math so that you can you know okay okay yeah I so you can read yeah. uh, you know your your tax filing and figure out okay should i do this should i do that you can't yeah. 
taxes change it changes so much that it, it's it's kind of useless to teach taxes now that's the whole taxes thing should you teach you know what a mortgage is should you teach what an asset is yeah. what appreciation is what yeah. amortization is yeah. interest rates sure i think i think you should like you and know. some of that I'll, I'll hedge on a little bit of this if you're in business school and i talk to a lot of different people when a lot of different business schools some of that they do really go through it's like if you're in other majors even if you're an engineer or something they don't go through any of that but yeah go ahead. yeah no i just agree i just this whole i i, I hear it a lot it's just like we should teach taxes in school. We should teach taxes in school, and it's like, look, you already have the skills to, you know, if if you teach comprehensive, um, you teach um, reading comprehension, you teach critical reasoning, critical thinking, you have the skills to understand. Okay, what's being asked of me in this? You know, as far as like a single filer, like you know, just regular Joe Schmo to do their taxes. You yeah. know, the the tax code is just too expansive to to teach itself in schools. You know what? I actually don't totally disagree with this point at first when you were starting to go at him thinking like all right i might end up disagreeing with this but where i would push a little bit on the tax example in particular is that there are some basic things like income brackets and how they work how sure. marginal sure. how how marginal taxation stuff that. works Absolutely. stuff like that so yes you could teach the basic things but you're right if you look at the legislation we passed in what was it like 20 late 2017 compared to the tax legislation before that, night and day, right? So if you were teaching a class based on the 2013 or 2014, whatever it was, tax legislation, it just totally got flipped on its head. I agree. You make the point about the mortgages, though. You make the point about the basic things. Agree with that. We can do that. But where we really don't teach in any of these school systems is, to put the buzzword on it, the whole time value of money. We don't talk about inflation and how that works we don't talk about the concept of investments versus things like inflation and the concept of risk versus return on a very basic level i mean i worked in banking and i dealt with some really smart people sometimes who just you know they weren't bankers they did whatever they did sure. and it would be amazing to me and some of them some people really knew what they were talking about because they they put the responsibility on themselves and learned it but it would be amazing to me when I talk with some people that you would think know everything about this stuff who would ask me some of the most basic questions and I'd have to be like, oh, my God, I actually have to answer that. You know, like, like they what? Don't, Give me an example. Oh, my God. One time a guy looked at me and goes, Julian, what is a bond? And th this guy makes – a debt instrument, sir. Th this guy makes about $5, 6000000 million a year and probably worth $50, 60000000 million, something like that. And, and he dead-ass looked at me and said, what is a bond? And that's probably not the most obvious one I ever got. I mean, some people, they don't even understand the concept of income brackets, which to me, that's, that's, that, that's... That one shocks me. There are a lot of people out there that think they're like, if you're on the cusp of a bracket, they're like, ah, don't take that promotion because <laughs> your taxes yeah. are going to go higher. I got that one. People I, think that, like, they think they're being smart, but it's like, ah, that's not how, you know, marginal brackets work. I thought that coming out of college. Yeah. I remember before I started my job, I was having a conversation with, with the guy who was going to be my boss, and I was basically learning everything I could just to know. I, I always wanted to know, like, what are all the common hit points that people run into, and how do I just make sure I know every single thing about them so it's covered? So, of course, some of the stuff we're going through is taxes. And I was explaining to him, like, yeah, you know, the income bracket thing is kind of confusing just because I feel like people could avoid it just by not taking – literally, like, yeah. not taking the promotion or saying, oh, no, I'll pass up on that five. And he was like – 
oh no, that's not how it works. <laughs> like, oh, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. It's but there's a lot of people who don't understand that and. You know, we're sitting here talking about, again, trying to go into, all right, well, let's understand the nuances of international implications of, of yeah. transportation law. And, you know, we're talking about the same general population that doesn't know this stuff. Yeah. And going back to the whole financial literacy thing, you can't teach people to be smart with their money. True. Very but you, true. But you can teach them the basics to know that they're not being smart. So you 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 can never just like... Everyone's going to make their own decisions. But basically, we need to get to a point, I, th I think, where if someone's, you know, leasing a car or they're, you know, buying, you know, an expensive purse or whatever, they know that they're making what's considered maybe not a, a financially yep. great decision. Um, I think that a lot of people don't realize that. I really do. I think that a lot of people, yeah. You know, I just I just don't think that they're as financially like like we said as financially literate as they could be. Well, it's a social media era too. Yeah, everyone wants the cool shit. In, the to be instant, able to flaunt it. yeah, the it's, instant gratification. It's it's crazy, but I mean, hey, when they're buying boats, it's good for you. You yeah. like that? Yeah, buying boats. Yeah, boats, great investment. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a boat. It's a great investment. <laughs> Terrible investment. Oh my but God. boats are fun, man. Boats are fun. Ugh. How is it that? Like, do you like it down there? I love it down there, man. It's a, it's a cool culture. It's like, uh, it's obviously the weather's great down there. Um, I'm into boats. I'm a boat lawyer. It's a, it's just absolute boating culture. Um, it's obviously a very Latino city, mm -hmm. very Latin. Um, so you know, I like that culture. You know, yeah. it's it's cool. I just like being. You know, I was in Philly for five years, so Philly. Philly's Philly. I lived there for five years. I got the total vibe of Philly. There's nothing like I felt like I needed to do or accomplish in Philly. And yeah, I'm just like, just a lot of new stuff down there for me. I'm just like learning a lot of new stuff, um, like meeting new people, doing new experiences. It's it's, it's a lot of fun. Just t like totally different culture. Totally. But like Cuban Latin culture is just like. It's so cool. It's cool. It's really cool. Um, it's just like funny. Like one of the things is like, if you're ordering a cup of coffee, like you never know, like like cubans have their own way of drinking coffee it's like not that special it's like they you know they they like whip they like whip up sugar and then you like pour like espresso over it. it's like cuban coffee yeah. but like you don't know like for me i'm like a white guy and i'll go into like a shop and i'll be like can i get a coffee and like half the time they'll give me a cuban coffee and then half the time they'll be like all right this this white guy probably wants this kind of coffee you have to say americano i don't have to like it's just weird it's like sometimes They'll just give you, they're like, he probably wants this. <laughs> he wants this one. This yeah, thing. exactly. And it's like, all right, fine. But it's, you know, it's whatever. Yeah, I, I love Miami, man. I went down to Miami one time for five days two years ago. It was like a last minute trip. My buddy calls me. He, Dude, he goes, I, I remember like seeing that on like <laughs> social media and I was like, what is Julian doing right now? <laughs> there is There is a piece of my soul that that died Dude. at the Delano and and it's very happy to have that as a final resting I've place. I've never been there but I've I've heard I've heard it in a P Diddy song he references it. <laughs> what song was that? Uh the what song is that? It's the Oh Let's Do It remix. Wow. That's I impressive. just bought the Delano, I believe P Diddy says. Wow. So all right, so he worked it <laughs> he worked it into the line with his own phonetic pronunciation yeah. to make it work. I respect that. That's pretty good. That place is uh that place is wild. We had the group I went down with, so my one friend is he's a personal injury lawyer up here. 
and was he the dude that was on the show? No, no, oh. not not Spear, not Spear. Different guy up in North Jersey, <laughs> and they are the personal injury crew up in North Jersey. There's a lot of really really good attorneys up there, and a big group of them are all really close friends. So they go vacation together, do all this shit. And these guys are, they're all like law-abiding that's, that's citizens as, as lawyers. I well, mean, the, they just like to drink, the but it's don't wild. don't really apply in Miami. But, well, yeah, <laughs> actually, that's a fair point. But these guys, they're, they're not like, they're not insane. There's there's not blow everywhere doing any, everything like that. But it was basically this crew I went down with. My friend Dave was like 29 years old. And then, the rest of them are like 40, 50, 60. And I'm telling you, dude, it was just five days. They rent Bungalow 8 at the Delano. So literally right next to the bar, the bar just brings in the bar to that bunker yeah. or bunker. I'm used to saying that here to that bungalow right there. And it's five days of just nonstop drinking and some of the most beautiful women in the world you'll ever see. It's yeah. it's insane. It's heaven. It sounds like Miami. It's, it's heaven. Unfortunately, I haven't like, so I moved there in a pandemic. Yeah. So. I mean, everything's open, but it's not, it's not like, especially like Miami Beach. It's mm. not, well, Miami Beach is still pretty lit. Like, I don't know. It's, but it's still, it still is not what it is and should be. Are they you know having I mean? the pool party at SLS or are they not allowed yeah, to do they're, that? No, they're, they're doing that stuff. Like all, like Nikki Beach, SLS, yeah. like all that stuff is still like open and lit, but it's just not as, it, it's just not as vibrant as it, as it, as it, should be i guess yeah but it's still you know. but actually i don't even know if that's true because like every time i like so i don't spend much time in miami beach i go i spend most most of my time in like downtown miami like the brickle, brickle area yeah that's where say. like everyone who's like from miami lives in brickle and like that's where that's where i go out most of the time i've been out in miami beach once or twice i spend a lot of time in fort lauderdale i have some friends that live there too fort lauderdale's fun fort lauderdale fort, fort liquordale Fort Lickerdale. What's what's the story behind that? Why is it? No, I was I was laughing because um, one of my buddies in college is a couple years older than me. He used to always correct me, and he, he has he has this really cool like higher pitch raspy voice. And he was from Fort Lauderdale, and every time I'd say Fort Lauderdale, I'd be like, "It's Fort Lickerdale." <laughs> and I'm like, "All right," and it beat into my system. So now I've had two guys in here before you who were, I guess, like a few episodes ago, where they. They brought up Fort Lauderdale because they were both Florida guys as well, and I had to repeat Fort Lauderdale. So my guy who guess, taught me that was texting me like, "I love it, I love it, I love it. That's great." You know, you're spreading yeah. the word. No, but. I could definitely see that, man. Uh, Fort Lauderdale, the crew I go out with there is just like. So my one buddy's in the Coast Guard there, and um, he's just like a Coast Guard guy, loves to drink and like loves to party, yeah. and like, yeah, we just. We're just like goons every time we go out there. So like, I've I've had a lot of fun nights in Fort Lauderdale. I've had a lot of fun nights in Brickell. I've only, yeah, I've only, I haven't really been out too much in Miami Beach to the, like those clubs there. So I, yeah, that's, that's that's on my list. I'll get there. What are the big spots in Brickell? Because I I went through, when I was down there, I went through Brickell quickly, but I didn't really spend any time there. I was in Miami Beach pretty much the whole time. Uh, I don't know. So like, I don't know if I'm going to the big spots. I guess so. I went to this one club, La V. Yeah, that was I've like heard of that. that was a blast. I went to this. Um, where else the hell did I go? Um. What the fuck? Where, where's Where's Eleven? Eleven's not in Brickell. Right? That's like, it might be in Brickell. I think that's just downtown. Mm. I I haven't been to Eleven. Everyone's like says you got to go to Eleven. It's like a strip club, like bar, like mm-hmm. combo, whatever. I'll you know, I'll I'm sure I'll go there at some point. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I've only been been in Miami for like 
I moved there. When did I move there? September. So I've... I've oh, shit. I thought you yeah. moved back in, like, June. I know, right? Like, yeah, I've only been there for, like, three months, I guess. Yeah. Is it three months? Yeah. yeah. Like, three and a half months at the end of this month. I moved... I started my job September 14th. Now, is there, like, a lot of construction going on down there, even in the midst of all this? Like, yes. a lot of buildings that are empty that they're still working yes. on right now? Yes. A lot. That's interesting. Because yeah. now with, with all these people flocking to Miami, I was thinking that when I was there because I couldn't really tell, but I felt like I saw cranes everywhere. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of buildings being built. There's a building right next to my apartment. There's They're throwing one up, a huge, you know, high-rise condos, whatever. It's all over. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because do you know the size as well? Like the actual roughly the size population? of the no not the population like the geographical size of the miami city limits i've never looked that up no like relative to new york like manhattan is it anything because manhattan's is seven basically like seven miles i have no idea um i know that miami so i do if i could talk about the size of population wise yeah i know was that um i believe miami's probably miami proper is about six hundred thousand. But then Miami-Dade, which includes Miami Beach, like Miami Gardens, uh, like Hialeah, like all like Kendall, Doral, like all that stuff is um, that's like, you know, m- several million. So Miami-Dade is a lot bigger than Miami proper. Got it. Okay. So comparing the sizes, I just pulled it up. Manhattan itself is around 22.82 square miles whereas the city of miami itself and i just went off that one so that's not up there but it was around 35.99 square miles so it's so, bigger it's bigger it's yeah. bigger but again new york is definitely going to be bigger once you add in what's uh the other search boroughs. the population of miami and then miami dade got it yo so it's kind of isn't it miami wade county yo Dwayne Wade Boulevard. I live like a block from Dwayne Wade Boulevard. It's Wait, pretty cool. Al- he's already got a street name. Yeah, there. right next to American Airlines. Arena. It's cool. It's cool when you like when I first moved there and I put it on my um, Google Maps or whatever. It'd be like make a left on Dwayne Wade Boulevard. I'd be like, <laughs> damn, that's cool. That's pretty legendary. All right, so population as yeah. of twenty eighteen. Oh wow, so it's only f- it's five hundred thousand. Yeah, and then but, search Miami Dade population. And that's the other thing, though. That may be the population. But the tourism there on a daily basis compared yeah, to even... Yeah, so this is Miami-Dade County. It's oh, 2.7 million. Yeah, because yeah, there's all these little communities. Like, Miami Beach is different than Miami. It's... Wait, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, so it has they a different literally mayor. count them yeah. different. It has a different... So Miami, the city of Miami is different than the city of Miami Beach. It has a different mayor. Wow. What's crazy, what's weird to me is the city of Miami has a mayor, Suarez, who's Republican, and then the... S- County Miami Dade County has their own mayor who's Democrat, and it's like we it's so weird to me, yeah. And and just because and, we're more polarized the, than ever, too. And then they're like issuing these, st- like, it gets very complicated with these like stay at home orders. Like, for a while, like, everything was just wide. There was like a county stay at home order, but Miami City wasn't enforcing it, so it was like, and then like they're like, oh, now now we're enforcing it. Suarez strikes me from the outside. Because I've been paying close attention to him over the last month. Before that, I didn't even know who the guy was. Wouldn't have known him if I crossed him in the street. But with all the mass movement going to Miami, all these people moving there, I'm like, I'm, I'm on Twitter looking at this. Can't believe it. 
And this guy's Twitter's insane. He's like in the meme culture, following up on everything. I, don't, I follow him on the gram. I don't, not on Twitter. Oh my god, he's phenomenal on there. And he strikes me. I'm still learning more about him, but just based on who he's talking with, because he has the way he's done this, especially with the tech community. Yeah. And now he's starting. I, it with, he's always like posting about the tech community. Hundred percent. But he's he's making it very personal. He's not just posting and saying like, "Oh, come here." He's inviting these guys there, like bringing them to the city to sit down in his office with him and meet with him and then tell him what they want. And when you listen, when you see what he's doing, what the vibe of the city seems to be from the outside there and everything, and then you also see he's been meeting with, when you're looking at some of the people he's meeting with, he's meeting with people on the far left or far, I shouldn't say far, but on the pretty hard conservative or liberal sides all alike. And everyone has a high opinion of him, which is pretty cool. So he kind of strikes me as this pragmatic you know south florida centrist kind of let's just have a nice city and get some good business here and have a good community kind of guy that's what it seems like to me but i don't know i don't have a read on him yet yeah and you never like i need to live there longer before i can tell you what i think of suarez but a good lawyerly hedge yeah very true (laughs) but um i know for a while the mask thing it was like pretty pretty or not the mask things Rather, the curfew thing was pretty lax in Miami, where it was like, what I was, was the curfew thing. So like, th- there's still a curfew now. They've so it's like midnight is the curfew to, uh, on all of Miami Dade County, I believe. So clubs have to close at midnight. Yes. So, but uh-huh. like for instance, this one weekend, our our friend Alexi visited, <laughs> and like we went to this like we went to this club, and we were there till like six a.m. and like there were cops there, and we're just like, what like. <laughs> It didn't make any sense, but then I went to Miami Beach like the the other weekend, and then the the place closed at uh, midnight. And then like in Broward County, which is like where Fort Lauderdale is, mm-hmm. it's like probably two a.m. So mm-hmm. it's like it's pretty like that's like you know normal for like Philly, but like you remember you remember the beginning of uh, of COVID with with Fort Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale, where they had all the those, map. No, they had the map of all the spring breakers flying out. Oh of yeah, Fort. that was oh a mess. my god, it was hilarious. Yeah, that was a mess. So on point. But yeah, that's that's weird. Like, I guess, because the other thing is, the cops everywhere, forget all the social unrest that's been going on and what that does for their job, but they're in a really tough spot because their job is to uphold and enforce the law. And a lot of these cops are being forced to uphold and enforce shit that they got to be driving out to do this going, what are we doing? Yeah. You know? It's, legally speaking... I- I don't know how much um, – there's a lot of debate on, like, how much authority these uh, these stay-at-home orders and curfews and, and the like have. But we're kind of just all agreeing, like, all right, we're just – you know, it's a pandemic, so we'll just, you know, the mayor will issue this order and we'll just kind of, you know, enforce it, whatever. Um, Again, I haven't, you know, again, it all depends on these, these states and, like, what yeah. their constitution's saying, what the, like, you know, city of Miami, like, charter says and all, like, all that stuff. Um, but I, I think that it's it's a lot less clear than people realize. Well, actually, I, I want to ask you about that because you're an attorney and this is this is Uh-oh. something you, you look at. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a high-level kind of thing. This is something that I know they talk about a lot in, in law school because – you have to. It's a core tenant of the legal system. But there's been this trade-off in the history of our country where you have the power of the federal government and the power of the state governments. 
you know, who dual, can... Dual sovereignty. Correct. Yeah. yeah. There's the actual term. I didn't know that. But <laughs> when you look at these two things, there's been a lot of examples that you could go through in history where they've come to a head and, and there's been a massive disagreement and then it's not like who controls what. But especially today where everything is so interconnected, I can't help but think that half the mess of the whole COVID pandemic was the fact that you had these 50 states and then the federal government and there were – I mean it's happening right now. We talked about it earlier. That you have everyone doing their own different way and yet people are moving across border because it's not hard. You know, They're going to see family. They're going to see friends. They're taking a flight here, going there. And it does make you wonder – invokes a slippery slope, which a lot of things do. But it makes you wonder if there are some things where it's like, well, maybe – one should have control or maybe if we let all the states have control we don't and this is impossible we don't judge them for making their decisions the way they do if that's that's within their rights but do you ever think about that in the context of the last nine ten months just because it's been such a clusterfuck yeah well i definitely think it varies it varies so widely from state to state so you 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 have a california where it's you know it's under lockdown. You have a Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, where it's under lockdown, and then you go to Florida, and it's you know wide open, and it's it's confusing, and it's you know it creates problems where if you're trying to look at America as a whole and say what's the best way to stop the spread of this disease or whatever, and like say we could all like agree on one one way, okay, you got to shut it down, or you don't have to shut it down. It just makes it difficult when all Different states are doing different things. Um, yeah, like what's your question? Sorry. Yeah, it's it, it's it's complicated. It, it, it's more a thought than anything, and just throwing it out there for for what you think. But I guess if I were going to get really specific, do you think that for something like this, we should have just had a federal quote unquote mandate where the federal government says, "All right, here's what we're deciding." Here's what everyone's got to do. Just get on board. Do you think that would have made it better? So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a side here because yeah, I don't think that you should have the federal government just have a mandate because if you look at the U.S., the U.S. is not some homogeneous population. It is mm-hmm. it is totally different. You know, someone who lives in the Dakotas, their life is totally different than someone who lives in you know downtown Manhattan. It's I, I don't I just don't think you could have some general mandate. I th- and I think that's just the nature of of the United States and our population and our, you know, the geography as well. I, th- I think it's just so different. So, no, um, I completely agree with you. I think that it made this it, just because of the political lines of this thing. And it was also an election year and all that. It made this far worse because you had people making political moves rather than policy moves so to speak but to your point if you had something like this mandated to the federal government where do you draw the line and what forget the fact that there's different realities which is 100 percent true well what else do they then have a full mandate on moving forward and then when do you get to a point where to use your example the people in the dakotas are legislated on everything the same way that the people in new york are legislated i mean even think about it like this New York City versus, and this is intrastate, so this is a whole nother level down, but New York City versus Western Upstate New York. Very little in common. Just to- different worlds. Yeah. 
you know? I've actually thought about that before. It's kind of wild. Yeah, it's, so I, I agree with you. It's just, it's hard not to look back at this and say, well, what if we had done this or had done that? Just because here we are, second round of lockdowns, people still yelling at each other and, and claiming that you don't value life if, if you're anti-lockdown or, or claiming that you're, you're a prisoner of the state if you value lockdown. It's, it's a very hard place to be, and a lot of it is drawn back to the fact that you couldn't even get the states and the federal government or just the states alone themselves on somewhat of a same page as to how to go about handling this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And obviously this whole thing is, has cost so many people – their livelihoods, like we said, and and it uprooted people from from jobs and things like that. But some people it adjusted okay or were able to pivot, and you know that, that's that's great. But yeah, th- that's kind of what you did, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I was laid off from my job like on my birthday. Holy shit! Yeah, well, I think it was the day before my birthday, but pretty much on my birthday, which kind of sucked. Um, and I was laid off. I was laid off, and I was like, well, uh, in Philly. In Philly. So I worked for a law firm. So I'll explain. Yeah, I worked for a law firm in Philly. I was doing, um, I was a car accident lawyer, basically. I did like trucking defense. I hated my job. I really hated my job in Philly. Um, There were good people. It was a good opportunity. But like, I just didn't, I just didn't get fired up about the subject matter. Um, And I was always interested in uh, maritime law. Like in law school, I had to take a maritime course at a different law school. Like I had to ask my law school permission to go to another law school to take a maritime course because they didn't oh, o- wow. offer it at my law school. I like found like the only maritime law job in Philly that I could find. Um, and I've, I in law school in law yeah, school yeah. like yep, a, yep, as yep. a um, yep. you know as a you know externship internship whatever. Sure. Um, I I didn't get a chance to get a job there after law school. So then I worked for this law firm in Philly. And then I kept always like, I was always on Google, like Googling maritime law jobs, maritime law jobs. And they're all in Florida, all in Miami. And mm-hmm. I was like, fuck it. I Let's took, go. Yeah. I took the Florida bar and then, you know, I had that in my back pocket and then I got laid off and I was just like, shit, like, Oh, you took that ahead. Yeah. So no, it's not like, it, it wasn't like a random, like, you know, yeah. Do it overnight thing. I was absolutely eyeing up a Florida move. Um, or it's at least it was something that I wanted to have in my back pocket, and it was something that I was like, like this is where the maritime law jobs are, and like I also think Florida, like I also was kind of drawn to Florida for just like it's Florida. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, my and Miami, forty nine states in Florida, man. Yeah, and dude, and Miami's like a different, a different country like within Florida. Yep. Florida is its own country, and Miami is its fucking own world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. I got laid off and I was like, shit, like, do I just apply to jobs? And I almost did because, like, I was like, you know, it's tough. It's like, you know, it's you're comfortable and, you're like, you're like, this is what I've been doing. Like, I own, a, I own a house in Philly. Like, I just ran it. But I own a house in Philly and I was like, shit, like, you know, all my friends are there. I have a, I have a crib here. Like, like what? Like, you know, maybe I should just stay here. You know, it's easy enough. Like, you know, I could get a job, whatever. But, um, yeah, I just, like, said, fuck it. I'm going to do maritime law in Florida. And, yeah, I haven't looked back, so... Yeah, I mean, good for you. And 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 that, your birthday's what? End of March, July. Oh, I was totally off there. Sorry, pal. So you, th- this is just mid-pandemic. You had to think on mid-pandemic. your feet with this. But you had taken the bar what, like a year before or something like that. Uh, yeah, I got my result. I took it in February. Um, yeah, February. Okay. Now it dumb, happened quick. It happened quick. Dumb question. Do you have to fly down to Florida? To yeah, take the bar? I, had, I had to fly down. I had to stay in like a shitty fucking roadside motel in like Tampa. I, I didn't get a fancy <laughs> hotel. 
Yeah. There was like for you. fucking like people like wasted like fighting the night I'm taking the bar exam like <laughs> at the fucking pool. Like I don't know. Fuck it. But what um like how much different I hear people talk about sometimes the Delaware bar and the California bar, they're in particularly whatever in New York's kinda hard too. Those how are much hard. different though is it going Commonwealth of Pennsylvania versus going state of Florida on a bar? I like that you refer to Pennsylvania as Commonwealth. Commonwealth yeah. Um so I'm going to say uh, it's definitely different. There's a lot of Florida-specific stuff you had to learn. Honestly, and, like, this might get very legal-specific. I Like, you have to learn, like, the civil procedure, the rules of court. I had to learn that for Florida. I had to learn, like, certain, certain like, the rules of evidence, things like that. But for the most part, the law is the law because, you know, people decide, like, this makes sense. So mm. it's not going to be that crazy different from state to state. There is certain little specific things, and they'll tr they'll usually test on those differences. They'll they'll test on, like, all right, in Florida they do, um, you know, they, they have uh, they'll, they have this weird rule about, you know, you have 21 days to respond to this versus mm. you have 30 days in, in this other state. And they'll, they'll test on that stuff, and the bar prep companies will, will focus on those areas. I'll be honest though, there's just, like certain subjects that I just didn't have time to study entirely that I just like kind of guessed on and I was, uh, you know, I passed. So I was like, you know, I hope they do wills and trusts the same they, as they do in Pennsylvania and Florida. And I guess it was close enough because there was a bunch of questions on that. And yeah, so it worked. you can kind of, honestly, it's, it's not as crazy as you'd think. Like you can kind of guess on a lot of stuff, make educated guesses based on like what would, how would Florida do this? You yeah. Know? Well, the other thing I always wonder about, which is probably a stupid question, but when you have when you're an attorney and let's say you're a really high powered attorney in New York, and so you're in the well, maybe it's not going to be anymore, but the capital of the country, pretty much as far as where things I think, happen. I think it's going to be the capital for a long time. I hope to God you're right, and uh, I, I I think it is too. I just I, I actually can't guarantee that anymore. Is my point, but. If I'm an attorney there and I'm doing all kinds of cases with companies I deal with who have their offices there and whatever, if somebody calls me from Arizona and it's a major corporation, I want to do the case. If I'm not passed in the bar in Arizona, do I – am I allowed to lead that case in Arizona? So you can – if the case is like involving a court – Let's talk litigation. Say like, okay. say it's like a big lawsuit in in Arizona. It's in an Arizona court. You can get an Arizona attorney to sponsor your admission on that, like a purely case by case basis. It's called pro hoc vice. Mm -hmm. Like I'm talking all this Latin like terms and yeah, shit. Yeah. But yeah, you can get a local attorney to be like, yo, like I'm gonna, you know, offer this guy t for admission. To like to the bar or whatever on a limited case by case basis or, right. or you, you can do that um, and it gets tricky if you're talking like can I in New York a New York attorney advise like an Arizona corporation on an issue of Arizona law probably not but if it's somehow you can if you can somehow relate it to like New York law then maybe it, it gets it gets tricky you know what I mean yeah yeah they draw a lot of lines yeah but it's it, it's amazing because the the legal system when you look at industries that have to deal with technology and things changing. They constantly have to adjust or they're dead. The legal industry, so to speak, doesn't really have to do that because they run it. You have to get into it. It's got a huge 
high barrier of entry. It's backed by literally the legal system, which is run by a lot of lawyers. It's run by, well, the courts. Yeah, exactly. So they can go, like, if they wanted to still have judges wearing the powdered wigs and stuff, they could do it. In the Bahamas, they, so I deal with a lot of, like, Bahamian law and stuff. Really? Yeah, because one of the major companies I work for were flagged in the Bahamas and, like, our Mm. contract, I mean, basically, um, yeah, one of my, the first hearings I had was before a Bahamian judge. It was uh, in, in a case applying Bahamian law, but it was in the U.S. because it was an arbitration case. It was like, mm. but no powdered, no powdered wigs. But like, I was googling pictures of like the Bahamas Bar Association because I was curious, and like, there's all these just dudes wearing wigs. It's like, it's kind of funny, but yeah, I, I knew, I knew at a young age I couldn't be a lawyer because some some people. Like, I'd make decent arguments to be like, oh, you should be a lawyer. You're a good arguer or whatever. But I was like, dude, I remember watching the movie My Cousin Vinny. And, you know, that No, guy, I watched that literally two nights ago. I was on TV. Oh, it's so, it's, how classic is that movie? It's a great movie. And it's one of the best of all time, comedy-wise. But I would watch that movie. And, you know, that guy was obviously a total wild child. But I remember thinking when he would lose his shit in court and just be like, fuck you to the judge. I'm like, I know myself. If some guy is telling me something that doesn't make sense, the whole like your honor thing, I'm that's gonna go out the window real fast. I'm gonna be spending the night in jail. Uh, yeah, you'll you'll be thrown in contempt. It's like it's crazy, and I admire the fact that a lot of lawyers, especially ones who are like high powered lawyers, who know when the case is on their side, they deal sometimes with like a shitty judge, and they know how. Like, hey, this is where I can press, this is where I can't. Yeah, you got to keep your composure for sure, but sometimes you do have to. You got to push those boundaries a little. What I do love about the practice of law, which, like, so I'm legally educated. I went to law school. Yeah. You know, like, 10 years from now, I'll have, like, a lot of experience, like, be arguing cases. It's one of those areas where, like, a a citizen can just walk in and, like, argue their own case and, like, potentially just, like, be the best in the courtroom. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where it's, like, like, it happens rarely. And um, it's called, like, when you represent yourself, you're called pr- a pro se mm-hmm, litigant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the 1970s, I think it last happened, uh, and you can't do this anymore, um, a pro se litigant argued before the Supreme Court. You should find the ar- the audio of that. It's pretty cool. Um, this guy won. He won a unanimous decision uh, from the United States Supreme Court. <laughs> it was a very – he should have won. The issue was absolutely clearly should have been decided in his favor. It was an SEC – it was an SEC, it was like someone versus the SEC Securities Exchange Commission, but it's a really cool audio to hear this guy, and like, he's kind of like, he starts off like messing up a little. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to pull it up here behind you. Search last, last pro se litigant in the U.S. Last Supreme Court. pro se litigant winner in the Supreme Court? Well, I think it was just the last one. Yeah, that'll be fine. Just search All it. Right. Let's see, because if, if I could get that audio, that'd be really cool. I think about this a lot, yeah. just because, like, it's... New York Samuel Sloan was the last non-lawyer to do it when he represented himself in 1978 in a lawsuit involving stock trading. Yep. Wow. So he had no lawyer... Did he have to have anyone in there with him? No. So now that they made a rule, and that was 2013, they made a rule that in order to argue before the Supreme Court, you have to be um, a lawyer. So, in theory, you could still be pro se, you could still be representing yourself, but you'd have to be a lawyer. Mm, so he couldn't do what he did today. No. Got it. Yeah, I don't know. Search no. the, so, actually, I'm kind of nerdy with this stuff. If you search the name of the case and you go on this website, it's called Oye.org. How do you spell Oye? 
O-Y-E-Z.org. Okay, and it's Samuel Sloan? Yeah. Oh, here we go. Pro um, Googler. Go, go all. We'll go all. Yeah, so, yeah, click that. And this may have the audio? Yeah, it will, it will never, there won't be video. There's no video. But okay. yeah, you, we'll have. that works. All right, let's, oh, this is like 154. That's, that's not the too bad. Opi- that's the opinion. That's when oh, they just. Oh, that's when they just gave the result. Yeah. yeah duh. Click that, though. The second one? Yeah, that's the first one. I think that's. All right. This one's, gonna... Let's just cut to the middle, see if he's there. That's Harvey Pitt, so the guy guy's name would be Sloan. All right, let's see where Sloan talked. It might be in the other one. So I t- clicked the other one. Okay. So that was the second oral argument. Mr. Sloan. Yeah, there you go. Okay, let's try this one. And he fucks, he fucks well, up at first. You can tell he's continue like... Continue the arguments in the Securities and Exchange Commission against This is wild Sloan. that this is here. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, this is from the 70s? Yeah. Mr. Sloan, are you ready? Mr. Sloan, you may continue whenever <laughs> you're ready. You imagine Mr. being Chief that guy. Justice, and, and may it please the court, um, I wish to bring the attention of the court to a, a small uh, factual matter which came to my attention yesterday. Um, you mentioned 36 trading suspension orders, and the source of this is because in, on page 122 of the appendix, there is a list of orders, and there was a typographical error in that the Holy SEC, shit. when they It's pretty, when they copied like, legally dead. That's what I'm saying. He talks like a lawyer. Yeah. December 25th, he did his homework. Oh, yeah. The question I put, wow. Mr. All right, I'll cut it there in 50 seconds. Wow. But, like, I've, I've actually, I'm kind of nerdy. I've watched or listened to the whole thing. There's points where he'll be like, you can tell he's absolutely not a lawyer because he'll be talking about, like, other stuff. that, And they'll have to remind him, they're like, Mr. Sloan, that's not what is at issue today. Mm-hmm. Like, that, like, a, a trained lawyer wouldn't be... You know, and he'd be like, what, like talking about something and this happened and this happened. He'd be like, no, no, no. The issue is this specific issue. That's why you're here. Now, that is his legal right to represent himself. And and at that point, he could still do it at the Supreme Court. So it was his right to do it. If you're a judge, though, and you know that he has a constitutional right to that, are you required to be more understanding or more lenient to give him shots to get things right because you know that he doesn't know it? No, you're not required to. But mm. so I've worked. So after law school, my first job was I clerked for a judge. Um in Montgomery County, yeah, I yeah. clerked for a common pleas judge. So li- literally, like I was, you know, I'm his right hand man. And I would say that 99% of judges, maybe 90% of judges will give a pro se litigant, if they're not making a mockery of, mm. of, if they're like taking it seriously, they'll give them a little more leeway and they'll help, they'll help them out and they'll kind of steer them on the right track. Um, pro se litigant in a criminal case is a mess. Oh, man. Yeah, the, there was oh who did oh the uh, the big mob boss in New York back in I think like the big trial in maybe like ninety two or eighty six one of those when they had all the all the bosses up for trial at once the guy Carmine Persico who was a total sociopath argued his entire case and he actually wasn't he wasn't terrible although he lost the case because they had a great case against him but he also got the jury kind of rooting for him a little bit because he was hilarious like he was a funny new york italian guy and he would just he'd be like i object (laughs) and the jury would just be laughing their ass off but it's it's like i can't even imagine having to fight logically out loud as a non-lawyer in a court of law for my own freedom that is a crazy concept it's stupid because you are entitled an attorney under the constitution yeah. like if you can't afford one like you're allowed representation you should never 
ever be your own lawyer in a criminal case. Are the are the public are the public attorneys though? Because they do a million cases. Are they any dude, good? There's some of the best attorneys out there. Really, 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 and truly, they're so, they're so well trained. There's they, yes, they have a, a, a huge caseload, but they they know the law better than almost anyone in that courtroom. I think they're some of the best attorneys. Like one of my best friends, actually in Miami, is a public defender, and and some of the people in his office, they're just they're absolutely they're superstars. They like, and actually Miami is one of the um, it's probably the premier place to practice as a public defender in the entire country. That's interesting. Yeah, it's actually harder in some uh, places to be a public defender than it is a, a DA. It's 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 a tough job, but I think they're some of the best attorneys. You're also taking on a whole swath of cases. I mean, yeah. you're all over the place. Yeah, you have to be. You have to become efficient at at doing what you do. So there's there's this perception that a public defender is, um, you know, they're overworked. They're certainly overworked. Okay. Yeah. Um, they're certainly working their they're busting their ass, but it there's this perception that they're not on top of things, and that is not true in my experience because. I, I think there's some tremendously talented public defenders, and I don't think you make it. I don't think you can make it if you're not talented. Um, and there's also there's a lot of paid or you know private criminal defense attorneys that I just do not think, in my experience, were that special. Excuse me, and that talented. I think a lot. I would see a lot of guys just stroll into the courtroom, probably not even having read the case, and you know it's it's like. I'm not talking about a double homicide here. I'm talking about, you know, like a simple assault type, a minor case. But, like, just go in there and, you know, say – and and just, like, kind of, like, oh, let's talk to the DA. Let's see if we can work out let's a deal. A deal. Yeah. yeah, and it's just, you know, when there's really – you know, they, I think they could have done a better job. And I think they kind of – and, again, um, there are some great attorneys. There are some great private attorneys that I've seen, you know, win, win arguments, win motions, win cases on – what I thought was unwinnable. So there's there's a whole spectrum. Yeah. But I, I don't think just because you know you're a, a quote unquote paid attorney, you're you're any better than a public defender. And I think in most cases, a public defender might be one of the best in that courtroom. But yeah, I, yeah, and you said maybe it depends where you are too. Sometimes I I know I had a buddy who did it who's a really really good attorney, and he stopped doing it. I think he did it for like a year, and it wasn't the only thing he did, but he was so pissed off because the court system. I won't say where he was, but he felt it was more a failure of the court system or whatever the system is that at the state level that handles handing out the cases to the defender or whatever, whatever that system is. He felt like it was really fucked up because they just wanted him to do volume all the time. So they'd be like, oh, no, you need to, you need to finish that case right there. We, we have this next one for you. And he'd be like, no, like this guy's facing three years in jail. I'm not just going to like finish this case. I need to I need to do this right. And then they would get on him about that and then they wouldn't give him a good case. And he was like, he was very jaded by it. He was like, it's it very stupid. But yeah, I mean, that's interesting. And you would, it does make sense just again, because of how many potential things you deal with because you don't know what's coming across with that. It's not like I'm going to focus on this type of crime or that type of whatever, you know? Sure. Well, and they do have that to a certain extent. Like you'll have, you know, You'll have um, you'll look um, public defenders that will focus on, you know, like sex crimes or, um, you know, like violent felonies stuff like that. And like you, it's the same with the DA's office. You, like you, you won't just have a guy who's, um, you know, who's been doing nothing but, you know, like drug drug deal cases yeah. suddenly have yep. handle like a homicide case. Like you, you'll have, and it's obviously like you know the longer you work there or whatever. But yeah, 
it, it is somewhat specialized, but th- there is a lot of times it's not though. A lot of times it's just like whatever case. But like I, the big cases, if it's like a homicide case, you have you'll have a different attorney handle those cases in the within the public defender's office. Have you ever had an interest in criminal law? Yeah. Oh, I'm super interested in criminal law. Um, I thought I, that's what I wanted to do for a long time. Uh, and, you know, I worked for a criminal judge for a year. Um, well, he was actually half in civil, half in criminal. But, um, yeah, I'm very interested in criminal law. It's, it's yeah. It's such a crazy concept to me. I, I This is something that a few times a year, for whatever reason, I don't know, I'll be looking at something, and then I will think about this for an hour or two hours. But the idea of either side of it, whether you are a defense attorney handling a big case where there's a lot of jail time on the line or you are a prosecutor or then even at the top, you're the judge and it's your job to figure out how to create a deterrence and hand out punishment or decide what to do. The idea of someone sitting in there and their literal sanctity and freedom being on the line. I mean, it's look, heavy. it's, it's heavy. Yeah, it's it, heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. Um, yeah. And it's, I've observed so when I worked for that judge, mm-hmm. I observed a lot of criminal trials and it's just it's just super interesting to see the things that unfold a trial and the things that like you wouldn't think are important pieces of evidence or like you wouldn't think was important that end up kind of being, you know, oh wow, like, you know, we thought this evidence was important. So, um there's two types of trials. There's a jury trial versus a bench trial. And we had a couple bench trials. What's a bench trial? A bench trial is when you say, okay, judge, you decide this case. Oh. Yeah, okay. so I'm the clerk of the judge. So I'd, you know, I'd, it'd be a couple day trial. And like after every, you know, every, after every witness, we'd go back into the judge's chambers and we'd talk about it. Like we'd say like, I don't know about this guy. I'd, I didn't know if I believe this guy's testimony or like, yeah, this guy was... His testimony was totally on point. I'm trying to think of some specific cases. Um, and obviously, I wouldn't say what my judge and yeah, I yeah, said yeah, behind yeah, closed yeah. doors. But there was a one interesting case where we had. <clears throat> the case was um, we found the, – well, the judge found the guy not guilty at the end of the day. It was a, oh, a guy. He was a, um, a former police officer at the University of Pennsylvania. He was accused of beating the shit out of his um, ex-girlfriend's like new boyfriend. Mm. Right, he just like pulled up on on her and just yeah. like beat the shit out yep. of this guy. Yep. Um, that was a, what's alleged, and then he argued self defense. And what I I think self defense, if you're gonna argue self defense, you got to go bench trial because it's one of those legal. It's like a legal heavy argument that mm-hmm. you want you want like a learned judge deciding that. And and my judge in that moment decided, all right, you know he's not guilty. Did. Personally, did did I think the guy was guilty? Probably. Did a lot of people in our court staff think the guy was guilty? Probably. But you, it's one of those things where, like, based on the law and like reasonable force and like reasonable, you know, you know, did he reasonable fear for imminent harm yeah, and, yeah. and stuff like All that? Big turn, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, did technically he fit the you know defense of self self defense? Probably. So, can you do that on any kind of case for like a homicide? Can you say we want a bench trial? So, I can talk about Pennsylvania law. Um, In Pennsylvania, it's one of the only states where the state actually has a right to a jury trial. So, Mm. normally, that's a a right to a jury is a right that's reserved for a criminal defendant, Mm. right? So, if the state didn't have that right, the state state couldn't say, we demand a jury trial. And if you don't invoke 
your right to demand a jury trial, then it would probably be a bench trial. But in Pennsylvania, actually, the state can demand a jury trial. But most most states and most, uh, I would say most times that a bench trial is like requested, they, they agree. So mm. yes, functionally, yes, you can basically say, yeah, I want a bench trial and you'll get a bench trial. So if you are... Well, actually, here's a question on juries, too, because this is another thing I think about. When you're dealing with cases that happen to involve invoking, you know, ahead of time, based on what the arguments are going to be, they're going to invoke a lot of buzzword ter- terminology. Like self-defense, you're talking? Sure, but self-defense, at least people understand. When, when I say self-defense to the average person, they know, yeah, I'm defending myself, right? When you get to, what was the one, like the Trayvon Martin one, the stand your ground law. I say Florida self-defense law is super complicated. Yeah. It involves, again, I might be losing some people out there. No, it no, involves no. like a series of presumptions where it's like if you're on another person's property without their permission, you're presumed to have like intent to harm them. And you're pres- it's presumed this, it's presumed that. And it's, it gets pretty crazy as to what you can do to justify yourself, uh, justify using deadly force in Florida. So wouldn't you want... I'm trying to think of both sides. My question is, wouldn't if you are a criminal defender or a prosecutor in that scenario, wouldn't you both want hypothetically the bench trial so you have a judge who completely yes. understands? Well, or that you hope does, I guess. It depends on what the demographics of your jury would be. It depends on a whole lot of things. Mm. It depends on what your theme of the case is going to be. So, what if it's, you know. I understand what you're saying. Like, if it's just going to be a bunch of legal issues, you want you'd rather throw, put that in the hands of a judge than a jury. But like, if you know at the end of the day the judge isn't going to come out in, on your favor on that, if if the judge is probably going to put together those legal theories and find opposite of you, you're going to want to say, "Well, we'll take our chance with the jury." You know, maybe mm. maybe a jury will, you know, kind of, you know. Maybe not focus so much on the strict law of it and decide it some other way, but it totally depends on what what your theme of the case is, how you want to paint the picture of what happened, what the events are. So it, there's more predictability in either direction when it's a judge versus a jury, which seems pretty. Yeah, yeah it seems pretty. Standard. I think so. Yeah, because a judge is one person, and typically a judge, unless this is a judge's first day yeah, of the job, you have a record of what exactly. He, yeah, you yeah. know, you know how he tends to decide things. So yes, I would say yes. Yeah. Now, have you been paying attention to the end of the Trump presidency here with all the pardons and commutations and stuff? I saw that he pardoned some people, including those guys, those uh, that killed those people in Iraq. I don't. Um, I haven't been paying too much attention yeah. to that. Well, how does that – so there, there's two ways you can do it, though, just like on the legal side. So pardon is when you just completely absolve them of the crime. It's basically off their record, never happened. Whereas the other thing, this is my understanding, is called a commutation where they don't remove it from the record, but they say, all right, you're out of yeah, jail. Yeah, you've served your sentence, yeah. Got it. Okay. So – so there, it's, there's three that I'm that I do want to ask about, and if you if you're not fully sure. aware of of the cases, no problem. We'll move on from them. But are have you paid any attention to like the whole Snowden thing? Vaguely, I know. I mean, I know the facts are Edward Snowden had information um, from. I mean, he he was worked for the NSA, right? And mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. was a whistleblower on this mass surveillance, and mm-hmm. he was then. Um, where where is he now? 
He's, he's basically not by choice. He's in Russia because when he did the whistleblow, he planned it for a long time. Went to Glenn Greenwald and Laura Poitras as well, who was the do- he wanted her to document it because she had been trying to document the NSA for a long time. But Glenn Greenwald is like one of the best reporters in the world, and so he met with them in like Hong Kong or something, got it all yeah, on video, yeah, yeah. and then he was trying to get to South America, but his plane got stopped in Russia at a layover because the U.S. basically threatened whatever country he was trying to go to. You cannot let him in. So he got stuck there. He's been in Russia for seven years. But the context of the case is by the letter of the law, yes, based on what he signed before going into government, yeah, he broke the law. However, he was a guy who had everything to lose. This was not like an angry soldier in that way. He had a great life, great fiance, lived in Hawaii, paid a lot, had been all over the government. And he saw a problem that wasn't getting addressed over and over again, and it just got stuck in the chain of command, and no one was going to do anything about it. And he saw that the problem was clearly a violation of national law, to say nothing of international law. And so he took precautions to make sure that what he did release was not intelligence that could then put a lot of American lives in danger. So as a result, zero people died. Zero Americans died as a, as a result of what he did. And, you know, he's been living with political asylum, I guess, in Russia this whole time. And now they're really trying to press as Trump's leaving office to get him to pardon him so that he can come home and basically admit through it that, yeah, what what he put out there was the law that he saw being broken affected far more people than the law that he had to break just on his own to actually do it. I guess that's kind of the concept. Yeah, no, I understand that. It's it's tricky. It's one of those that's tricky. It's was he acting in the best interest of probably our country? Yes. What? Um, I think yes. I think he thought he was. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's for argument's sake, let's say that the information he revealed was no doubt beneficial to all Americans. It was good. Let's for argument's sake. Yep, yep, okay. Yep. Um. But then the, the the issue is the way he did it was that cool. Are we cool with that? Do the ends justify the means? Yeah. You know, and that's that's the age old debate and that's the whole thing. Um it's and a slippery slope. I, it's a slippery slope and he did he did What's he being accused of? Tre- that would be treason, right? He betrayed his government. Yeah, for for lack of a better way of putting it, I know one of the main charges literally has the word treason in it. I just don't know exactly what it says. It's like some sort of like spying, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um it, I don't know. And that's one of those questions where it's it's hard for me to answer. Um you know, logically speaking, if what what he did was good and the result is good, um is the fact that he had to be, do a bad thing to get that, do we overlook that? I I don't know how I feel about that. Um because you know, I I don't I don't think it's a good policy to betray your government and yeah. I think it's um that's the part that sucks. Yeah. What? Because then what is? And this is this is the argument. And you know, I've been on record about this. I'm very much in support of a part, and I'd like to see it happen. But I will even admit, and I think he would too. I, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to speak for him. I'm not sure if he has, but he could be listening. It's it, yeah. <laughs> it is the concept that okay, he did that, and that one. Let's say we agree hypothetically, it was the right thing to do. 
then what does the next guy say is the right thing to do and is it less and is it how much less and then do we let him off too that's the part that exactly sucks. and that's exactly you hit the nail on the head it's like okay so what are we what are we going to say is um justifies betraying the government yep. like a little tiny little infraction that like okay whatever you know the government was doing this super minor thing but then you went ahead and like betrayed your government to reveal this that like doesn't you know for sure maybe it makes our lives like one percent better whatever yeah you know you you it's it's tough and there's no there's no right answer to that um well there might be i don't know i think the unique thing on his i'll say this is that he revealed a massive bureaucratic agency or agencies wide betrayal of constitutional rights the ultimate law like he revealed one of the ultimate breakings of the law by an enormous group of people let's say most of them passively because they're just a part of the chain of command they're like all right i guess this is what we're doing here this is what everyone says but at some point like somebody ordered it we know dick cheney was the original one who kind of signed off on that whole thing it's neither here nor there but you had all these people breaking the law of the citizens and so he's saying to himself do I myself as an individual break one law, and it's a big one, but I break one law to be able to show that all these people are breaking all these laws that affect the 330 million people that live here. That's where he has a little bit of a different argument with his quote-unquote slippery slope thing. It's not just like, oh, here's some dirt on the government, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it, it's a hard question to answer, but I think it's – it is good that there are people that are – he was – what's admirable about him – is that he was willing to risk it all, you mm. know, and and like you said, he had a he. There's no he didn't need to do that, you no. know. He could have just been like, oh, that sucks, but you know, I'm gonna continue to live in Hawaii and like you know be chilling. But yeah. no, he he felt so compelled that he did that, and it's it's remarkable that he did that. And I think it's good that there are people or a person out there that that did that. I think that most people can agree that what he did was you know took some. Took some courage, took some you yeah. know, guts. Yeah, and the other thing was, you know, some of the people who were most offended by what he did and, and viscerally reacted, and I understand this, I empathize with it, were senior military guys in this country. And you look at the military, it's all about the chain of command, man. Like that's – and that's what makes the military so great. So they respect that more than anything, and anyone who breaks that, it's like, nope, you're out. And I get that, but I look at it like, again – if you let that go and fall into the chain of command, what else – on the other end, what else do you let fall into the chain of command? What Then what's the next constitutional right yeah, you violate? Yeah, and then it, it erodes away at you know what the fabric of the military Correct. is, which is you – know, I don't want to say blindly following orders, but like you you follow orders. That's, yeah. that's, how, that's how it works. Yeah. You know? um, and it, you, it, we can kind of bring it back to the, that whole um, Navy admiral on that – what, was it a um, was it an aircraft carrier? What was the Navy ship where he um, the whole COVID situation where he disobeyed orders and then was like removed from his post? But then all his his uh, superiors were were like, "Yo, no, he did the right thing." So basically, as I understand this, there was a Navy admiral of a of a ship. I don't know what kind of ship it was, and there was like a COVID there was like a COVID outbreak or whatever on the ship, and the Navy the the you know head of the navy was asking him to do something and he was not comfortable doing that given the covid situation so he 
um, he either disobeyed or, or went around his back and did something that was like no no bueno. No, you know what? I think I saw this one. I'm pulling it up right now. This was this they were saying that he was going to be reinstated because it seemed like it was wrong. I, I'm trying to remember the facts of this case, but then gotcha. he didn't. Yeah, it looks like he didn't. He was a captain. Looks like Captain Crozier. Yeah, and I guess he was not reinstated. I I know it was um, I know some military uh, people I talked to were kind of had mixed feelings about that. Yeah, so he this was one again, didn't follow the chain of command, but it it was something he didn't want to continue. All right, here it is. He was relieved of duty April 2nd following the leak of a letter he wrote to those higher up in his chain of command. In the in the letter he asked for more assistance in dealing with the outbreak of COVID-19 on the ship. Gilday said it is the findings of the more than detailed investigation rather than the existence of the leak letter that have prevented Crozier from being reinstated as commander of the Roosevelt. So I think if I remember some of the specifics here, what they were trying to say was that he wrote this letter with all these details, which painted the Navy in a bad light by basically saying, you're giving us no help or whatever, which who knows what's true, what's not, but maybe it's true. And so when it got leaked, the Navy felt like he and his people leaked it as if they had written the letter for the eyes of the press, which may not be true, but they had written the letter for the eyes of the press to get attention on it, to be like, look at what the Navy's doing to us and we're standing up to them versus, hey, we just want to send you this letter because we actually have these concerns. Okay. So when the story first broke, as I understood it, um, Captain Crozier was kind of... um, some military people were kind of, not, maybe not praising, but understanding what he did because it was seen as all right. He's putting the interests of his of his ship and his his soul, or I guess his sailors um, first. So they they kind of saw they're like, all right, he's putting his sailors first, you know, putting the interests of of those underneath him first. And they kind of um, there was some support, I think, in, in the some military communities. But I guess now the facts came back. Um, that yeah, and, and it could be an opinion, though. That's yeah. the thing. Like, it could be the Navy erring on the side of this is what we think he did, so let's not even chance it because then they don't want to risk having some rogue soldier in charge of something, which sucks. They're, they're sailors in the Navy. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I always forget. Like, yeah. it's like you got the Marines, you got the Army, you got the sailors. Sailors, you got soldiers. They're different. They're yeah. different. No, it's, it, it's true. But I was using it more as like the... The unhappy soldier. Sure, like, sure. No, well, I, know I guess like you know, but yeah. I mean, that's that's always the danger with this stuff, and that's the thing when you look at these cases and you look at like a Snowden, which is this quote unquote controversial high level case that involves the American people. The thing about the law, and this is involving the law, if you're going to pardon the guy, is that it is then applicable in precedent to things that have nothing to do with it. Like, you could have another situation in some random chain of command somewhere that is nothing like this with the NSA and Edward Snowden, but in a court of law, they go to whatever appellate court or circuit court and say, based on the stipulation set by the president's pardon of Edward Snowden, we believe that this case, you know, good lawyers are going to make that argument. Yeah, it just sets a precedent that when you have something like the military, which is is the framework of the military is you obey your – you're given a discrete task or job, and you carry out that task or job. You obey commands. That's a framework in the military. If that, if that um, evaporates or if that decays in any way, then the you know 
what yeah. is the, what is the military? So I I understand why the military has to be there. There's you know a zero tolerance policy for things like that, and I understand that that's the framework, and they have to they have to go that way. Yeah. Now another one that's entirely different, and I, you know I know some about this. I have not taken this one on with as much vigor as I have, say, the Snowden one. But the Julian Assange one is interesting because... He was the, he was the WikiLeaks guy. Yep, yeah, okay. yep. Because, you know, he's an, he was an American, and he has this international news organization, and his maybe biggest quote-unquote leak of information he got came at the height of a Republican-Democrat presidential election in 2016 where he leaked all this information mostly i guess on hillary clinton that was very damaging for her campaign and caused the whole problem and then there was the question of where did he get it and there is a lot of reasonable evidence to say that it could have come from russia and therefore backed by the russian government which isn't the russia hoax or the russia conspiracy or whatever they called in washington dc so much as it is like hey russia's still a foreign government they had an interest in doing something and so they went to a guy a rogue guy working in international waters who just wants to report the truth on some dirt and they gave him the information and he did but what he reported was also true. I mean, they reported on what these people were saying to each other behind the scenes. So I don't know. I guess they're they're calling for a pardon because he's a political target or something like that. But is that is that an even worse slippery slope because it's it's literally drawn on party lines there? See, I'm not super versed on the yeah. Julian Assange situation, but yeah, I mean, I think anytime you Anytime there's a pardon, um, well, I shouldn't say anytime, but anytime there's political parties involved, it's going to get political. Yeah. Um, so, and so true. You know, it it just depends on what your politics are. So, you know, you may support it if you support, uh, you know, those politics and you're, you're going to oppose it if, if your views don't align with that. So um, it's one of those things that I think is kind of unavoidable. Yeah, and it, it's it's stuck between a shit or, or a fart. I mean, just completely. <laughs> yeah. Like, you are fucked either way there. A rock in a hard place. Now, the third one. The third one is one I've really, especially over the past three months or so, been looking at extremely closely, and it's it's a wide-open one. Are you familiar with Ross Ulbricht and the Silk Road? Oh, very familiar. <laughs> the life sentence, man. He got okay. a life sentence. Can you take people through what that whole situation was? All right, so Ross Ulbricht uh, was the founder of the Silk Road. Silk Road was a uh, online marketplace accessible only through it's what's called a Tor browser, which mm -hmm. was uh, it's like an it anim major internet traffic anonymous, so you couldn't be tracked. And then you access this uh, online marketplace where you could buy all kinds of stuff. You could buy uh, drugs. You could buy guns guns you could buy like order hits on there although i don't know like most yeah, of we'll, most of those we'll were talk, government we'll, set up we'll talk about that yeah um and it was paid for in bitcoin which again is a, a an anonymous currency basically you can't trace a bitcoin kind of can and this was early days of bitcoin too this was yeah. 2011 through 2013 <laughs> when it was active uh -huh. i won't name any names but one of my college roommates was on the silk Ro <laughs> silk road doing some things um, which is how I knew about Bitcoin, and, and he was in Bitcoin 
early. So, but anyway, he's uh, doing all right. I'm not gonna say it. no. He, I think he sold all his Bitcoin, Ooh. but I'm not. I'm not naming names here. Okay. But either way, um, yeah. So, um, I forget when he when he got arrested, but um, he got arrested and um for operating the Silk Road. It was like a big sting operation. Ulbricht did. Ulbricht did. Ross mm-hmm. Ulbricht did. Um, he was. So he was. He actually went to Penn State, I believe, right? He, he did. He went to do his masters at Penn State. Yeah. Yeah. He's from Texas, but yep. he, he went to Penn State. Um, the government they arrested him in like Sweden or something. They arrested him overseas somewhere, right? Or did they arrest him in the U.S.? No, they it was arrested in him in San Fran yeah. in a library. Yeah. And the um, way they arrested him was they needed because of all this like debauchery yeah. with oh, yeah. how to have shit encrypted and operating on tour they needed to have the laptop catch him open. in the act yep. yeah like so they on, were able to get it yeah i i think there was definitely a documentary i watched a documentary on that i watched like probably a couple how they caught Deep him is, yeah, yeah they caught him is interesting because they just did a google search of of his name like or the silk road something i forget what they did they they f- somehow found his name and they they searched something and they found like the first time it appeared on the internet and then they got his name from that and it was just like a really like wow this is how the F- the fbi used google to find this guy well yes it's a thousand percent correct there were interesting parts on this case though first of all these agencies usually always all fight like they don't deal with each other it's it's all this intergovernmental rivalry and all that and there was that still existed here definitely especially with homeland but the people who brought this guy down who were really working closely together at the end were literally an F- a, a specific team at the FBI headed by Chris Tarbell, who was – I think his first name was Chris, who was a cyber expert and done a lot of big cases like the anonymous guys. He had done that one. Okay. And then there was – the DEA was involved, but the DEA was a pain – it wasn't Homeland. It was the DEA who was a pain in people's balls. So they basically kept those out. But there was a guy, Jared – or Yangian or something like that at Homeland Security, who the FBI team loved, so they worked closely with him. And then there was a guy at the IRS, this guy Gary Alford, who's the one who found that, uh, the, the Google thing you were talking about, who was basically brought on the team to track the money and try to see if they could tie it yeah. to things and do the really learn the Bitcoin scenario of it and how that works. And then they all worked together and got him that way. But the controversy outside of that, what you were talking about was he had posted under a pseudonym Altoid on some online chat during the early days of the Silk Road somewhere else saying, oh, have you heard of the Silk Road? And Gary Alford went and did specific Google searches. Like It took him a while, but once he got there, he realized that there was another thing traceable to that name that had posted – Ross Ulbrich at gmail.com yep. or something like and that. And then that's how they got that's how they got him. They had really no they, they had no leads until that point, but like then once they got him, they're like, oh, this this all makes sense. So he when he was operating the Silk Road, I remember there was certain points where um there was like a sting operation. I forget how it transpired, but basically Ross Aldrich ended up um ordering a hit on someone. And um, this hit was, he believed the hit was actually carried out, mm-hmm. um, but it was actually just agents faking the whole thing the whole time. And so Ross, like, from his perspective, 
he was communicating with this hitman. The hitman said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to kill this person. Take pictures when you're finished. Send pictures to Ross. Like, mm-hmm. okay, the job's done, whatever. From Ross's perspective, he was like, all right, he killed this person. I forget, you know. That's I forget, exactly. I forget the exactly details right. of that hit mm-hmm. and, like, why it, it transpired or why it happened. But basically, yeah, he ordered, he ordered a hit. Now, I need to say this because I've recorded a ton of podcasts this week. So usually when I do a podcast, it's released inside of 10 days. A lot of them are inside of five or six. But this one may be released after we know which way this is going to go, whether he gets commuted or not. Either way, this is an important thing to talk about. So if you're listening and you already know if he was commuted, here's some logic behind why and why it makes sense uh, or doesn't based on whatever you're going to say. And if he wasn't commuted, well, same thing goes. But yes to that scenario as far as like the hit that that did all go down and they again because they caught him in the act and they were able to get the laptop and then get all the information off of it because he didn't get to hit the kill switch on it they they can go see the chats the literal instant messages that occurred via what was known as the dread pirate roberts account that was his pseudonym yes now two things here number one the way the FBI went and got access to the server, what happened was when the guy Gary Alford, the IRS agent, found that thing, that Altoid thing online, sure. there was something else that had to do with another email that was registered to one of those chat rooms where it was like frosty at frosty.com. I, I forget. Something like that. That is how they corroborated that it was Ross because they had discovered – and I put that in air quotes. The FBI had discovered I – w- I really want to bring my guy Jim in here to talk about this ex-FBI guy because I want to push him on this. They discovered the server for the Silk Road in Iceland. Yes, they got lucky. They got lucky. They were able to like sniff a stray packet. Yeah. and but I, know, I know my shit. You Tec- know your shit. You know your shit yeah. inside and out. The second level to it was once they did that, though, it was encrypted to get in there. When they got in there, they found that the server was registered under Frosty. That's how they made the connection. Oh, Frosty at Frosty.com, Altoid, Ross at Ulbrich.gmail, server's called Frosty, boom, we got them. And that's how they knew to then have the warrant to be able to go in. But they got into an encrypted server. And to make a more complicated situation very simplified... The FBI's explanation is that basically there was a breakdown in the CAPTCHA system. Now, when I say CAPTCHA, all of you listening, you have encountered this online. You will go to some site and a a thing, a prompt will show up and it'll say, I'm not a robot. And it'll say, identify the crosswalk in each of these pictures. How's a robot telling me to say, I'm not a robot. You're the robot. Well, true, but that's neither here nor there. Point is, it's a very simple thing. You click the fucking crosswalks and then you move on. They were basically claiming that there was some kind of hole in the server that allowed them to suddenly have a loophole where it just prompted them for a captcha and poof, they were in. What most likely happened when you talk to actual forensic computer experts, and I have to hedge and say most likely, hypothetically, that could have happened, but most Computer forensics experts are offended by this explanation and say this makes absolutely no sense. The only way they could have done what they did is if they illegally hacked into it, which is a whole – it's basically like in violate infringing on your rights as an American citizen for them to do that. So that that's one end of it. But couldn't then they, – If they got a warrant, couldn't they hack it? 
and that's what I was wondering, but no, apparently the way the law works, and again, like check me on this people, but based on what I've read up on this, the law is that you cannot allow the government to hack into things because then same thing, where do you draw the line? It's the same thing as just walking uh, into your house without a warrant. You're right. So it's like, yeah, I understand why. You, you know what? I probably should be uh, up to date on this like case law, but I guess it's why you basically would have a court order saying to Apple, "Can you unlock this?" You know, like actually, that's a perfect example. Yeah, it's it's not like we're going to do this from our our system. Like, you remember the San Bernardino shooter, like yeah, four years yeah, ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually. As sad as this is, hats off to Tim Cook at Apple there because Tim Cook said, look, I would like nothing more than to unlock this guy's phone and make sure there are no other killers out there or whatever or see who he was talking to because the government was going to him saying, Tim, unlock the phone. And and he said, I can't do that, though, because if I do it here, I'm I'm breaking our data privacy laws that we promised to our customers. And where do we draw the line? And it, he just he made a call there, and, and I think he made the right call. Some people said it was like no, a big like press release, like article about it. Yeah, big. Like that was yeah. he had a lot of lights on him, and I thought he knocked that one out of the park handily. And it sucks because you would have liked to have all that information. And I, I you know, Dory, I, I don't know how true that is though, because I dealt with a case when I was in um, when I was clerking for the judge, where we it was a sub, so a suppression issue. Um, Basically, if you believe evidence was obtained in violation of the Constitution, you file a motion to suppress, which would basically say this evidence can't come in sure, as evidence. Sure. It was obtained in violation of the Constitution. I'll explain this case. So, okay. um, This is why I got you here. I love yeah. this. Yeah. So there was a case where it was a search of a cell phone. So the police have this guy in custody, and they say, can we search your cell phone? And he was like, sure, you can search my cell phone. Um, and, and they made him fill out a cell phone consent search form. And he was like, all right, sub item to be searched, you know, black iPhone. Um, what is the password to your phone? And he put down the password Ooh. to his phone, whatever. And the police were like, thanks, we're going to search that. And then the police went and did a complete digital forensic download of his, of his phone and recovered deleted messages, recovered all this other stuff, like... Um, deleted photos, deleted messages, and found incriminating evidence in the dele deleted digital forensic download of the phone. The defense attorney argued that that was beyond the scope of the consent, right? Because the consent was, this guy just, you're just searching my cell phone. You're not, I thought you were just going to, I gave you my passcode. I thought you were just going to go in and look through my phone. Oh. Instead, you went and did this digital download and searched all this other stuff. I, I remember what we ruled. We've ruled, I, I wrote the opinion, we've ruled it was. It expanded the, the consent of the search there. So we said the, the consent of the search was um, that you, you know, it was just limited to a, a regular customary look through the phone by, by way of the fact that he gave the password to the phone. The person reasonably thought that his consent meant that they were just going to look through it. But, was part of that, let me ask this, was part of that ruling based on coercion by police not in the presence of a lawyer and a reasonable intelligence of someone who is not an attorney representing themselves in that scenario well so that's like a that's at play basically in any of those scenarios but that wasn't the key issue there we basically said the consent was good like there was nothing wrong with the consent so that is an issue in any time you have you know anytime the police take statements or, yeah. or things like that without an attorney um 
and I think he may have, I think it was probably read as Miranda rights. Again, I don't, that, that wasn't the issue, but, um, basically we said, yeah, he, the consent was good, but the police just ex- expanded what a reasonable per- sure. person would have thought they were allowing the police to search in that scenario. But the reason I'm, and I'm trying to bring this back and we're probably losing a lot of people right no, now. No, talking. no, no, this, this is compelling. I know what you're doing. Go but. Ahead. The reason I think that I think the police can search, I think if you get a warrant, the police have these forensic download machines that they can just get this download. So if in that case, the police either had to get clear, unequivocal consent to get all this extraneous information or just get a warrant. They didn't get one. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't get a warrant. They went with the consent aspect in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, though. This is when they're hunting him. So they hadn't approached him yet, or they didn't approach him until they arrested him. But they never got the warrant. And then the whole problem was it was so, I don't even want to say politicized. It it wasn't. There were a lot of people who had a visceral reaction to what the Silk Road was. And so it was controversial that way. So it was court of public opinion, which is a whole nother thing here. Like how hard is it to get a trial, especially with all the attention in the internet these days? And this was, you know, certainly one where social media was a big thing happening sure. in 2014, 2015 when this trial was gearing up to go. But the question is, if they didn't have the warrant and hacked in, then was was it all a sham? Yeah. Now, let's let's even go off that. Let's pretend that doesn't exist. Let's say the case gets made and and they reasonably determine it was him. You brought up the whole point of the hit. And here's here's yeah, the problem. Yeah, I think Ross got a raw deal. But yeah, you continue. Here's the problem. They need a boogeyman. You're in government. You got to make a case, right? Sure. And guess what? They did get the guy who created the Silk Road. We know yeah. Ross did that. He, I believe his attorney admitted that in court. That, yeah, he did. He did create the website, The Silk Road. That's corroborated by people like the one person in his life, his girlfriend who knew about it from day one. It's corroborated by everyone. So we we know that he did that. But Ross was, to give a little background here, he was an ultra-libertarian. And he's what I call an unrealistic libertarian. This is why it's important to say commutation and not pardon. There's no doubt Ross broke the law here. And had to go to jail. There's no question about that. This is not a pardon situation. The question is what you pointed out, which is that his sentence that was handed down at the end of this, which was double life plus 40 years, no parole, is quite excessive for somebody who just created a website. Now, the context of the hits is that the government, when they arrested him, had claims based on undercover operatives they had. You pointed out that was exactly what happened on one of them in particularly where they literally had a DEA agent on the other end of the chat who was posed undercover as a Colombian drug dealer or something who was saying, oh. Do do, do you remember why he was ordering people killed though? Yes. Yes. So this one guy, Curtis Green, was was somebody who was one of the personalities on the Silk Road underneath a name – a pseudonym online who was in the know about a lot of stuff and the government caught him. And so he was like kind of a weak, feebly guy. And he started telling the government things, I believe. And And he knew who Ross was? Ross knew who he was because what Ross required, and I say Ross here Oh, yeah, he required the IDs and stuff of everyone, yeah. So he knew who everyone was. No one else knew IDs. And he didn't know... 
there's still like there's some people that like he didn't know who they were but when it came to this guy he knew who it was so he knew this curtis green guy was a problem and i say ross here and this is why i put it in big quotations because ross started the whole silk road and for the first year or so he was listed as admin and then his username changed from admin to dread pirate roberts which was a play on the whole princess bride character or whatever it was like a funny whatever the government arrested him and claimed that between that hit I just pointed on and then five others that were similar or whatever, where he said on a chat, yes, let's waste this guy or whatever, meaning we're going to pay you. He would say, here's the amount of Bitcoin. We'll pay for it. Or here's the cost. He would admit to wanting to pay people to do it, and then they they would do it. Now, the Curtis Green guy, it didn't happen because he didn't know it was the government on the other end. So they sent him a picture that was – tomato soup and it looks yeah. i don't know if you ever seen it i've seen it. i've seen it yeah oh dude it looks yeah. there's no way i wouldn't look at that and say that's not real yeah where they showed this guy make it look like he was drowned to death yeah. and so anyway it didn't happen but he still they had the evidence of him ordering the hit the problem is when the government arrested him and came out with oh this is these are the charges against him there was this long period of silence in the year or so little over a year building up to his trial where then right when the trial went to start they miraculously dropped all the charges. They did not bring the charges of the hits. He was not found guilty of any hits. He was not even charged with them. And so the question here is the government's also on record with their own logs behind the scenes saying, like these guys in the FBI or Homeland Security saying, they believe the Dread Pirate Roberts to be a few different people. There was also an interview done with Andy Greenberg, who's one of the best tech reporters in the country, where he interviewed Dread Pirate Roberts via chat while it was active for like four hours. And that – and this could be a total lie, right? It could have been Ross on the other end. That Dread Pirate Roberts was saying, no, I didn't create the site. Someone else did, but he didn't want it anymore, and he went to hand it off. Ross Holbrook was not a coder. He knew how to do it. He was not a computer programmer by trade, though. This was a very complicated thing to do. And so when you look – not to go in all the details, but when you look at the history of his story and what he was doing over those years, it makes a lot of sense that maybe he would have continued involvement, but he wasn't running it. And so the government didn't even allow discovery on anything substantive until the trial itself. So the defense was coming in there basically blind. It was a closed courtroom. They put him in front of a judge who was notoriously hard on drug offenders. Notoriously hard. It was a female judge, I believe, right? Yeah, Catherine Forrest, I what, think. Um, where was this tried again? Southern District of New York. Okay. So, you know, basically in, in, the, in the biggest casino of them all, trying it minus the Supreme Court. And... They they had dropped all these charges, and then he was found guilty of everything. It's like, all right, you know, he's going to get 10, 15 years in prison, maybe 5, 10, something like that. Everyone else who was found guilty of shit got like five years. Everyone else, regardless of what they did. And the government tried to say he was the only one because the government had no evidence on who the other two could be. They they had thoughts on – there were a couple guys that were like, it could definitely be these two guys. But they didn't have any hard evidence like they had for Ross that he was definitely – a guy behind sure. it, which he was. And so they did not allow for him to be able to say, hey, yes, I started this website. Yes, I still had something to do with it. But no, I wasn't that guy doing that thing. He got caught behind the fact that he had to be a pseudonym online. And so other people, most likely also because he wasn't a computer programmer, most likely fucked him. And so now he's got this long ass sentence and 
he took things too far, but here's the last point of it, and this is what I really want you to respond to. <laughs> if you don't know, if you're unfamiliar with the saga, you're going to be very confused with the last five minutes. But it's it. If you haven't looked into this case, go do it. It is fucking insane. Super but the last point is that I mentioned he was a radical libertarian, and so to generalize here. The radical libertarian belief is that everything is based on individual choice and freedom. The most radical libertarians say no government, right, which is not realistic. But he wanted to say that the war on drugs in this scenario was an enormous mistake and that people, while they shouldn't do drugs, have a right to decide what they want to do. And because of the war on drugs, we created violent communities where – Drugs then cause a lot of other exterior crimes and pull down entire areas. So what he wanted to do was use the internet to allow a safe place for people who are going to do this to go do it. And he even had educational stuff on there like, hey, if you do this drug, here's how to get help or whatever, which isn't to say like that solves the problem. But point being, he was looking at a utopitarian world and he took it way too far. But morally – Let's even say he did the hits, and, and it. my opinion is he didn't. But let's say he did. Even with those six hits, even with some of the step. people who died as a result of taking drugs that they got on this site. Sure. It has been proven in studies, and it's kind of common sense, that the net gain here of violence that would have happened or th- crime that would have happened or community downtroddenness that would have happened and would have spread if these sales had happened on the street and not online is kind of inarguable but it's a slippery slope again because then the government has to admit like oh someone went around all the laws and technically they're more right and it's it's impossible to quantify because so you're you're looking at it from the perspective of okay all these drug transactions happened in this safe space but they would have happened like you know in at at a trap house in the hood otherwise and like someone could have gotten shot or something but how many people wouldn't have gone to that trap house in the hood and instead just logged on to their tour browser and bought drugs that they otherwise wouldn't have bought so that's another you know it's it's impossible to quantify but but i do think so i actually forgot i thought that ross i I thought that he was convicted with um with respect to the uh to the hits So it was just all drug crimes and you got a life life sentence. Yeah, I think most people that like offend something about you. You're like, look, like, like he's serving life in prison and he he's he didn't take anyone's life or he's not being charged with that. The government needed the boogeyman, like I said, but at least in the past, is on whether we find out about it years later or based on folklore, whatever it is, the way a lot of these situations go and. He would have done this kicking and screaming because he was no fan of the government. No doubt about that. But you get a guy like that, you say, all right, you know, you're going to spend a couple years in jail, but here's the deal, deal, pal. You work for us now, and when you come out of jail, you work for us for 10 years. Because the shit he knows and has access to, you're the government, you're like, oh, shit, that's some talent. Like, we, we want that working here. All right, let's use it for good. Or what but you said he wasn't a good. coder, so what's his skills besides he just was the first to think well, of it? Well, I, I, and that was generalized. He did know how, he did learn how to do that stuff. My point is, by trade, he wasn't an expert hacker. 
he wasn't like that. So, yes, you're right. It's a little bit different. But he had access to the entire dark web and had been someone who was on record being a part of it for a long time. And there's got to be things that you can use that with. Sure. I would agree with that, probably. Yeah, I, I, agree. I agree. It just – I think it, offend, it offends, you know, what I think most people think of the criminal justice system that you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're – all he's being convicted of is basically is just like what just like narcotic trafficking like drug trafficking yeah i think that's kind of uh you know that's kind of crazy that he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail and i remember he appealed it he was denied the circuit level Mm -hmm. and then he sought um he petitioned for certiorari with the supreme court and was denied they didn't the supreme meaning the supreme court didn't chose not to hear his case so i guess yeah his only option now is um is a commutation or a pardon yeah and it's 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 a flaming ball of fire to catch if you're any court because some of the there are a lot of people that support him heavily but some of the optics around it suck because look drugs are a big problem and people it's an emotional thing people lose family members over it addiction is one of the saddest things to ever be around and you know and so, but he didn't. He didn't make the drugs and didn't, yeah. you know, force anyone to take them. Well, he technically did make some mushrooms at the beginning, but that's not like heroin and stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's not. True. He was doing the least. I, I as know. I understood it, for the most part, it was just connecting buyers yes. and sellers and anonymously, and yeah, and it that, was wild. That's the thing. He created. <laughs> he really was. I mean, what he created, regardless of when he gave up control, if that's indeed what happened or seeded some of his control, the system he created, as crazy as this is to say, is essentially on a level of the disruption of things like Amazon. <laughs> and, and, oh, yeah. you know, he, he well, had millions of people on there. And it's not like it went away. No. The next Silk Road popped up almost instantly. <laughs> yeah, just under a different name. And it's going to keep doing that because people are like... You can when you can make your internet traffic anonymous and you can make your payment anonymous, you can just have a, a like underground marketplace. And by the way, I believe we'll check this after. I believe the NSA is who invented Tor, for what that's worth. I, like it's I their think so tool too. Yeah, that they invented. Yeah, I, and I mean it makes sense. And there's you know, I, I fully support like making your internet traffic anonymous if you want to. Like, why not? Yeah, and. It, not, it, it helps freedom of speech in like other like for instance other countries say you live in a country with like an oppressive authoritarian government and like you want to say something you want to do like you know like you can do you can stuff do like that yeah i think there's a lot of great purposes of that two things that are other after effects of this number one he's more relevant now because of covid he's more relevant because people there is an enormous movement i wouldn't even call it a political movement I don't know if you call it an awakening. I don't know what you call it. But there are a lot of people who maybe didn't care about politics or government or cared about it and were on one side or the other who are now just totally strongly anti-government online because they've seen the government handle COVID and the lack of personal freedoms and all that. And so Ross, even though it's an entirely different context, his whole idea – again was to get around government control on the indivi- on what he thought the individual should have control of and so there are a lot of people now who are looking at this and and relating the principles because they are related and saying 
oh, this guy saw it before we did. And now we just see the worst context of it where it affects everyone because we're locked in our house or we're told our business sure. is shut down. And so he's – I will say this. If he gets commuted, he will be the most sought-after speaker over the next five years. It, he and Snowden, between the two of them, but Snowden has at least spoken publicly already. Ross will be the most sought-after speaker on, uh, I guess, uh, logic and – and theory issues of government and so, just in general that we've ever seen. Do you think he's you think Donald Trump is going to commute his sentence? If you would have asked me that two months ago, I would have said no fucking way. And I'll tell you uh, why. Uh, sure. Because Trump campaigns so hard and Trump is hard anti drugs. Now he's been he has been very fair to uh nonviolent drug offenders. He has commuted a lot of sentences during this. He was convinced by a lot of people, but he ran on the narcotics problem in this country and trying to stem that, stem it from the borders and stuff. So you'd think he'd be very tough on this. But yes, the reports right now, I think maybe Axios, no, I, someone reported it that he's seriously considering it. I think Ross Aldrich's going to die in jail, unfortunately. Yeah. M maybe not. Maybe, but I don't think Donald Trump's going to do it. I, don't, I mean, he may, he may very well not. I know that he's, if this reports anywhere What does he have to right, gain from it? You want to know my opinion on sure. that? Like, like what I think now? What clout? Like, just no. pure, just like no. I think. Look, we know Trump has one of the biggest egos of all time. Sure, he was the outsider coming in. He feels like a lot of things were going well for a long time. Then COVID happened, which he feels like was his personal affront to him. I think he is more anti-government than he ever has been before, and there's some of that I empathize with, certainly. And so I think he views this as, all right, maybe I don't at all agree with what this guy did, but this was an Obama judge who put him in jail for this. It's personal with Trump. An Obama judge in the Southern District of New York, who I fucking hate, who put this guy in jail for two life sentences for creating a fucking website. Fuck you. And hits the button. That's why I think he's considering it, which maybe, isn't the yeah, right I, reason to do it. But Well, if the, I, I don't think... I don't think that guy should be in prison for life. I don't, I think he should he should definitely be in prison for a long time. Yeah. Well, well, maybe I I shouldn't say definitely, but like I'm, I think it's just like it's, like I think it's kind of crazy. That he's he's going to be in jail for life. Like, what if you if you're really concerned about drugs and you're really like okay hard nosed like punish drugs whatever. I think like you know you could easily like send the same message if he's in there for like 15 years or something like that. But like. Well, life, yeah, life. Look, it, it seems like, especially when you consider the fact he most likely wasn't the only Dread Pirate Roberts, which the government just tried to hide the fact that that had been their opinion, and they did successfully hide that in court. You look at the other sentences, you look at what he did, creating a website, creating the place to do it, it it's it's a five to ten year sentence. That's really, that's that's what the legal yeah. opinions seem to be. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of crazy, because especially, yeah he's not being prosecuted for killing anyone so yeah that's something i forgot because yeah if he, if those if those charges weren't on there he shouldn't be doing life in prison and if they're not on there why weren't they on there if you're if you're the government and you've been working on this guy for 3 years and you get him and you're like we got the dread pirate roberts why why don't you put on the biggest case you have against him which is that he did these hits there's no there's no logic to that 
There's there's no lie. It's not maybe like, you. Mm. I'm thinking could have been an entrapment defense because like the the government like, and I forget entrapment, but basically what I understand mm-hmm. it is if the entrapment is if when the government takes someone who was not otherwise going to commit a crime and like basically and entrapment law gets very confusing in the case law and it's very it's often courts even mess it up when you know it's proper to use but basically like when someone who was otherwise not going to commit a crime the government creates such a like you know basically like makes them commit that crime you know and it's not it's not simply the government like leading like okay let, let me leave a bike unchained and then someone steals a bike. It's like, it makes it, su- like, it's more than that. It's super obvious. Yeah. And honestly, I, st- I remember I studied entrapment in law school and it's, it's complicated and it's, it's one of those where it's like, it's, it's, it's tough to. Isn't it very subjective? Super subjective. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a hundred percent subjective, really. And there's different theories on like, well, if the government supplies the necessary element to commit this crime and uh, I don't know, but. There, there's a test for it. I forget it. Well, the other thing But here, I think it would be applicable there because it's like, if the government comes to this guy, and the, yeah, I, I don't know. I think there could be an argument for entrapment there. Well, to add to your case there that you make, because you have to say this, at least one of the, of the six scenarios, the first one, the Curtis Green guy we talked about, the two government representatives who were on that one. There were two guys. There was a DEA guy named Carl Force, and there was a Secret Service guy who, had, who was called in for the situation. I forget his name. But the DEA guy was the guy who was undercover online with the quote-unquote entrapment in this case. And that guy is currently in jail for six years because he got so out of control with this thing that he started extracting... He, he created other accounts posing as like sources that his fake guy... That he was playing connected with these fake sources with Ross online to then blackmail Ross into paying money to them to give him information that was fake, like inside government information about the investigation and stuff. So they later caught that guy and had to put him in jail for six years. And the Secret Service guy, when the Curtis Green thing went down, stole Curtis Green's bitcoins and didn't tell anyone. So he's in jail for six years, too. So part of it. Could also be case is a mess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was a clusterfuck. It was it was it was a clusterfuck. But again, like the argument here isn't like Ross's was innocent and he deserved not. No, like he created this thing. Even if his net gain happened, you can't just break every single law in the United States to say nothing of all the other countries. It was an international site and be like, yeah, you know, that's fine. It, it doesn't work like that. I'm sorry. Like he got out of control with it. But then. The argument is, well, what was the punishment for the crime? And if he didn't kill people or order people killed and he just created a site for people to do it and just got a little out of control, it's it's not a life sentence. I mean, it's yeah. straight up. It's not. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the other question here, too, that I, I want to ask you is, I, I mentioned this earlier. I don't think we really touched it. How do you deal with the whole court versus court of public opinion now? Because whenever the media comes on the case, whether it's a freak out in local media that's very specific to the area where the case is or a freak out nationally, how do you even – with the internet, how do you even get 12 jurors or even a judge who hasn't been reading all these articles that have whatever spin on it, whether it's right or wrong, that they have? So when you um, – you, if you have a jury, if you have a jury trial, there's a, a period um, during the jury selection process where you uh, 
voir dire the jury, you ask the jury certain questions. Voir dire? Voir dire, yeah. Or voir dire, as uh, uh, Vincent Gambini might say. <laughs> yeah. um, and you ask them certain questions, and they're supposed to answer truthfully. They take like, So how it works is when you're summoned for jury duty, you receive a juror questionnaire in the mail, and you're supposed to answer certain questions, like, you know, wh- like where do you live, like what's your job, whatever. And then when you get them um, in the courtroom during the jury selection process, you ask them a lot of questions like, have you read anything in the news about this case? Like, if, if so, like raise your jur- juror card or whatever. Um, a, lot of, a lot of different questions like, do you, you know, try, like – are you more inclined to believe someone's testimony because they're a police officer? Are you less inclined to believe someone's testimony? Have you ever been the victim of a crime? Like all these questions that might create a bias or whatever. Um, in theory, jury, jurors are supposed to answer that truthfully and you're supposed to weed out those jurors. Now, some cases are just so high profile that that might be almost impossible. Um, for instance, the OJ case is one of one of those where um, it kind of comes to mind. In, in that case... Um, I feel like there's no, almost no way that you can't that no one's heard of that case. So at that point, you just have to you have to be reasonable. Like if you, if you want to try that person, um, you're gonna have to figure out some way to get around that. So mm. you, so if everyone's been exposed to it, so at that point, you just want to like limit the exposure and limit um, you know limit ongoing exposure. So you can have jurors sequestered, which means they're like totally cut off. Like you a lot, of, and that happens a lot. Like they're you know hopefully. OJ's trial was like year, like over a year, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean a lot of tri- like a big murder trial or something in like a small community, you know, where it's you know a very tight knit community, you might sequester the jurors. Um, I, th- I think I remember there was like a homicide case somewhere in in uh, like in Harrisburg where um, you know the, the jurors were sequestered for like a few days. It happens like Philly, it happens yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's I, still possible. I don't I, vaguely maybe if it's like if it's a really truly high profile case I don't know how possible it is you know yeah. but um you you there are there are ways around it and in theory you know some people don't read the news you know you know so, some, yeah, some, some people, people don't, don't watch the news don't read read up on the news so I don't I don't know I I think it's it's harder and harder nowadays with cell phones everything to like you know truly isolate someone but they that's what they'll do they'll take your phone and they'll put you in a hotel with no TV you know, or they'll give you like newspaper no. articles, but they'll they'll take out the you know the ones that are. They take your phone from you. Yeah, that is that or, is. But crazy. most most cases, the the jurors are to be trusted. They're treated as you know rational adults, and it's like, look, like you're not to discuss this case. You're not to to Google facts about the case. You're not to go to the location of the crime. You're not you're not to do anything that's not you know within the the four walls of this courtroom. Yeah, yeah. Well, one one last thing, totally off topic here. I just want to make sure because I, I know you got to go in a few minutes, but I, I wanted to ask you before we do because I always talk about when when it comes to especially hip-hop or music in general, you're one of the guys that knows everyone. You knew all the rappers oh, coming up back yeah. in the day before anyone knew who they were. You're very yeah. on top of who ask talks away. to who, what what's going on. But one of the things that I've been really confused about is that when the when the Grammys came out this year, oh yeah, I'm not even I'm not gonna lie, I'm not even gonna remember some of the names, but I didn't even recognize anyone who was up for these awards in in the different. I mean, there were a few, but you're looking at like rap album of the year, pop album of the year, whatever. I'm like, what the fuck? I don't even know who these people are. What what's the process here, and how do we go from two years ago where literally rap album of the year? I'll remember two of them, but 
you you had the best. You had Cardi B. You had Travis Scott on there. Everyone knows Astro World. They they know Cardi B's album. They know this music. They're like, okay, that makes sense. And now it's like, who the fuck is this guy on there? Yeah. So what's wild? So it's wild to think I like Cardi B. She won Grammy for best rap album. Okay. Whatever. I like Cardi B. I really do. But she won the Grammy for Best Rap Album. And that, to me, was seen as like, all right, the Grammys are going to be like, we're going to appeal to like mainstream. We're just going to like, you know, it's it's the the Grammys is supposed to be like this, you know, high institution, whatever. But like when Car- when Invasion of Privacy, that's a I like that album. I legitimately like that album. It's a good album. Is it Grammy award winning worthy? It, Not in my opinion. Yeah. No. Again, I love Cardi B. Um at that moment, I was like, "All right, the Grammys are clearly signaling we're gonna appeal oh, to like." So you even saw okay. I so like, you. we're yeah. gonna appeal to, to to mass to the masses with this. Now you have so who's who's up for Grammy? You have Freddie Gibbs and Alchemist with with their album, which I listened to. It's it's decent. You have uh, Jay Electronica's album. You have who who else is it? There's um, I don't even remember. Nas is Nas is nominated. Um, Nas's album's good. They're they're all great projects but it's like whoa it's like you go from so i fully expected the grammy nominations to be like d- like little baby dropped an album dub baby dropped an album meg the stallion dropped an album i expected to be all those on there no mention of that to me that's, that's just crazy that's absolutely it's like it's like the grammys are just like we're gonna take like like a sharp u-turn and just like totally go like kind of underground indie focus on like the lyrics and focus on on the production and it's just like it's overthinking it well I honestly think, as far as like pure hip hop, pure art form, I think that the Grammys are doing it better with these most recent nominations than with like, you know, than with Cardi B, Invasion of Privacy. And I'm not, I'm not trashing Cardi B. Yeah, yeah, I understand what you're but saying. But like, you know, you know, I don't think under any circumstances she should have beaten Astro World on that. Under it, any circumstances. It's so it's, yeah, I forget that was the 2018 Grammy. She beat Astro World. Yes. Astro World was, and. I love Travis Scott. Like, I, I love him. With his music, personally, I respect all of it. And I listen to all of it because I'm amazed by it. His songs, for me, just like, what's my favorite music? They're hit or miss. So there's some that I'm like, oh, that's a banger. And then there's some where it's like, I really respect what he did, but I'm not, like, on my free yeah. time going to listen to that other than, like, studying it. That said, the sound he created on that album, and then when you saw the behind the scenes yeah, come the, out and, and the he doc- got, like, Ugh. features and stuff, like, unreal. Yeah, Un- and they, in his documentary is one of my favorite scenes. Did you ever see that? The Look Mom, I Can Fly documentary? No. I, I, oh, no. my God. You oh. would love that. He has that. It's it's a contextless doc- documentary. There's no narrative. It's just cameras following him around, and you just see what happens. So he had cameras on him for a year, and he had him backstage waiting on the potential album of the year. And... What I liked about it is you expect when someone loses right away, it's like, oh, they're going to say, oh, they totally deserved it. Great job. And it's not like he was ripping Cardi B at all, but he was pissed. He was like. Yeah, because it was like know. a political decision. I th- I think the so the Grammys were very at, at that time. I think there was a lot going on. And I think it was there was a, like kind of a, a I don't want to say like feminist movement, but it was like, all right, like Cardi B is definitely representing something that hasn't been represented in music in a, in a while. She was like, you know, she's 
a female rapper who's unabashedly herself. She can relate to the people. That's why I again I love Cardi B. Like that's it was why a I great album. I'm, I'm gonna get like there that was some was a, bangers on yeah, there. Yes, it was. Um, she Bodak Yellow is a banger, and then the song like Come Through Dripping. Like I, I like that song with uh, Offset. What else? Yeah. There was a song with Chance on there. There was. Uh, I mean, she had some good. She, she had did. some some good songs on there. Whatever. Um, but like I think it was more just like all right, people love Cardi B. And, like, they love what she stands for. She's, like, really connecting with people in a way that we haven't seen with artists in a while. Like, and I guess the Grammys tried to w- ride that wave in yeah. a sense. Yeah. And it just, who won Who won the Grammys last year, Best Rap Album? Do you want to look that up? Yeah, let me look that up. I don't remember. Because I think the nominee. It wasn't the baby. No. Because that. 2019 my, Best Rap opinion, Album. In my opinion, he, he should have won last year. Best. Rap album 2019 yeah. Grammys. 2019 Grammys. It's gonna be. Oh yeah, Tyler the Creator with Igor. Yeah, that was actually. I think that was, that was a, a very good album. That was a good win. There were some good nominees. I know. Um, YBN Corday. I, I don't know if you ever heard of him. I have heard of him. I he don't know the, his music. He dropped much, the YBN, though. but he was nominated last year. I think there were some good nominations. Um, and I think so. That's a, I think that's a perfectly like reasonable like. All right, Tyler the Creator. That's a good album. It's a very artistic album. The production value is had some good features in there. Um, but and I I agree with the Grammy nominations this year. Um, although I don't like that Jay Electronic album that much at all. Um, but I just think it's just like all right, Grammys. What are we doing? Can we not? Can we remain somewhat consistent? Am I gonna get? Are we are we going for the like you know what's popular at the moment? Are we going for like what's the artistic you know like like value the lyr- lyrics the like you know or what are we doing here? Can we be consistent? Yeah, because it and let's just let's juxtapose these two to literally put the you put some of them on there some of the names already, but for people to just understand like how visceral this is even year to year, you look at. Tw- let's start with 2019 where uh, Cardi 29, B won. That was right? actually 29. I guess it's a year behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that wrong too. So you had Cardi B win and who was she up against? She was up against Mac, Mac Miller, Miller yeah. for Swimming. That was a great album. Nipsey Hussle for Victory Lap. Pusha T for Daytona and Travis Scott for Astroworld. All shit that people are like, 99% of the people are like, yeah, I, I, I get that. Tyler, the creator. I think Mac Miller should have won that year. For pro- sure. Yeah, given all the, yeah, definitely. Tyler, the creator. In 2020, wins for Igor. Who was he up against? He was up against Dreamville, Revenge of the Dreamers, which is J. Cole, duh. He's up against Meek Mill for Championships. Everyone knew that album. 21 Savage for his album, I Am Greater Than I Was, 100%. And then... Corday. Yeah, Corday. That one I'm less familiar with. So I I don't think so. But look at 2021. Yeah. This this is the point. Freddie Freddie Gibbs. So I've never heard of... I'd never heard of D-Smoke. Until, yeah, until the Grammy nomination. D Smoke for Black Habits. Jay, you mentioned Jay Electronica, Royce. Oh yeah, Royce to five nine out of that's out of left. That's out yeah. of left field to me. And like, d- listen, I'm a huge fan of Nas. Nas is one of the greatest of all times. Love him, love him. Incredible rapper. But it's like, oh, we're doing we're doing this. Like Nas has been around for like twenty years, he's, and we're just like, yeah, he's been doing the same thing. Like it's not like Nas suddenly changed his style. And he didn't have like no disrespect, but he he had nothing that bordered on a mainstream or cult hit on that album no this was just i mean he makes a lot of albums yeah you know so like that's the thing i'm the the first rap concert i ever saw i saw nas in philly at the electric fact i think it was at the electric factory it was lit it was dope um how old were you i was still in high school um 
uh, yeah, so probably that, like that's a life 16, changer. 17. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, I love Nas. He's one of my, if I'm yep. talking over the history of like music, he's one of my favorites. No disrespect to Nas. But like Nas, Nas has been, clear. Nas has been consistent. Yeah. And he's like, he's about lyrics and bars and like, he's not, you know, I like, we're just doing this now in 2021. We're just going to like, what about all the, the countless albums that he's dropped like year after year? Like, uh, it's yeah. just it's just interesting to me that and that's the one they picked you know what i mean like it wasn't again not a bad album i'm just saying like it doesn't yeah. really it, it it doesn't make sense so yeah and and then one other thing too sorry i i forgot this but i <laughs> I, I can't let you out of here without asking on this what do you think of the whole hoopla around wap which i think is a great song i enjoy the fuck it's a out ba- of oh it's song. the beat is a banger yeah, and, and like the lyrics are dirty, house, but it's hose. it's uh, great, right? Um, I just think it's a gimmicky song. So, uh, I have a lot of opinions on this. So, people people really like Meg The Stallion. People really like she has become like a, an icon. She's people really get behind her for her. Um, I guess she's got very like empowering feminist like you know attitude she's kind of like she's like oh i'm doing this like hot girl shit um which i i don't know you know again i don't really listen to her music all that much but um i understand it's like this persona she's like you know i'm a bad chick like whatever like i do what i want i don't play by the rules like you can't box me in like you know i'm gonna be this hot girl and like i'm gonna you know you know i'm not gonna just be like uh like you know, a pawn in the rap game. I'm a hot girl. I'm a own it. And like, you know, she's got a, she's got like a badass attitude. It's like, you know, I, I respect that. I think you guys separate that Meg Thee Stallion from the song WAP because the song WAP, in my opinion, it's just, it's just like, it's a very, it's a gimmicky song. It's like, all right, let's just talk about like very vulgar, like sex for, you know, like three minutes or whatever. And I don't think, so like you can, you can talk about empowerment and Meg the Stallion and what she's doing and like how she's just embracing mm. that bad attitude that like ba- I'm a bad chick that hot girl attitude whatever mm-hmm. which I think is mm-hmm. legitimate but I don't think she's doing much in the way of that with the song WAP in yeah. my opinion and that's my opinion um and I've thought about that um but I, yeah I don't know that she's like really helping women's empowerment by talking about you know her wet ass pussy <laughs> although I do think it's a banger of a song <laughs> But I don't, you know, again, this, that's just my opinion. When you're back in here again, I'll touch that one and we'll we'll go off on it just because I feel like that would turn into an hour conversation. But I think closing on. Well, yeah, I mean, so I'll, we'll, we can talk about this because like I'm in. You got a minute? I'm passionate about this shit. Okay. So um, look, like I was trying to think like. What is so like special about this song WAP that it was like that was a that went a number that was a number one hit right when when you get Ben Shapiro being like the lyrics to this song are there are some whores in this house there are some whores in this house they are messing with my pee it, like that shit's gonna go viral it was a very viral song that's one example yeah, but yeah, you had all the you had these politicians tweeting about it and shit it was just made for that yeah I know and I think it was so like there have been female rappers for. A long time and they've been talking about sex and vulgar stuff like you you go like Lil Kim was like talking about all that stuff I just think I think it was kind of like all right it was first of all it was a banger of a song let's Mm -hmm. let's be honest I think in order to go that popular 
it has in order for a song to be that popular it has to be a good song um i think it was also kind of the way the way they're they're talking about sex it, it was like more like you know they're 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 owning it and they're like from the female perspective of like all right i'm in charge yes. in this scenario i agree and that that's kind of a, a way that you know it hasn't been uh portrayed in music in a while but i i don't think there's anything that like unique about that song you know like it was just like all right it's like maybe a little more visceral like when you're like all right the name of the song is like all right we're not we're really not pulling any punches here you know what i mean yeah i'm i'll I'll take i'll take the the feminist route on this one if you're gonna call them out for this why, why don't you call out all the men who talk about this? All well, time? yeah, and that's the whole thing. It's like men have been objectifying yeah women in, I in no rap problem with as, song. as long men have been objectifying women as long as like men have been able to stand upright. Like <laughs> it's, uh, but it's the truth. It um, is. It is. And it's like, it, and I understand the popularity of it, and I understand it's like, all right, fine. Like we're taking back. We're like owning it. We're gonna own our sexuality. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna own like you know like we're not just gonna be talked about like that. We're gonna you know we're going to empower ourselves by by taking charge and we're going to talk about yes, you yes. know our sex on our terms like uh, whatever and in some ways i think that's empowering in some ways though it's just like basically stooping to the level of men who've been doing that for like so i don't know that it's any more empowering it's everywhere in culture too yeah like to your point on that yeah with men yeah so uh, again i think so i do think meg the stallion is a very like empowering figure for, for for everyone but like females especially women um but i don't i think you kind of have to separate that from the song wop i think literally it was like it was literally like all right let's just make something that's let's like make a banger let's make something that's gonna stir shit up yeah. that's gonna create controversy that's like everyone's gonna talk about memorable everything. yes yes and like put over dope beat yep so on on that note i think i think that's a good spot right. to close listen man Thanks for coming in. You, Thank you, bro. You, you did a great job. Cleared up a lot of my legal questions as well, yeah. which, you know. If you ever get in any trouble on a boat, man, hit me up. I, dude, I got or you. Or just like be we, 15 miles at sea. Bro, we didn't even talk about cocaine submarines today. Cocaine submarines. Dude, <laughs> you want to know something? You want to know something crazy? My boy is in the, the Coast Guard. He does. Come on. Yeah. He's like. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know what All I'm right. about to say. Here, That's yeah. another segment for another day. But Gallagher. He's, Thanks, brother. Thank oh, you, bro. Did you enjoy this? You like this? I did, man. It's it's okay. cool. It's a cool... Uh, you've improved a lot from your first episode. You're basically just rambling for two hours. Yeah. That, I, I like this format a lot better. Thank you, brother. Well, I, I appreciate that. We're, we're building here. So, anyway, thanks for coming in. We'll have you in here again. And uh, keep enjoying Miami and everyone else. Give it a thought. Get back to me. Peace. <laughs>